0: Calling in all fans of comic books, TVs, and more. It's the Comic-Con you've been waiting for. Connecticut's number one Comic-Con, Terrific-Con, returns to the Mohegan Sun this August 17th to the 19th. Come out and meet your favorite comic book artists and writers in the all-new Mohegan Sun Expo Center, the largest in all New England. Plus, Terrific Con has your favorite movie and TV stars like Lou Ferrigno, Henry Winkler, Ralph Macchio, and many more, all at Terrific Con. It's more than just a Comic-Con, it's a Terrific-Con with cosplay, live music, panels, and more all at Terrific-Con at Mohegan Sun. It's three full days of Comic-Con action only at Terrific-Con this August 17th to the 19th. Remember, all kids 10 and under is getting free with a paying adult. There's a lot of Comic-Cons out there, but there's only one Terrific-Con. Be there on August 17th to the 19th for Connecticut's number one Comic-Con only at the Mohegan Sun. For more information, visit us at www.terrificon.com.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Man, two great conversations for you to uh, get you excited for Terrificon, which is coming next month at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. August 17th is when it starts. I know you've heard the advertisements on here. Uh, I'm going to be doing a lot more on guest interviews, because uh, they've got a great group of people, both uh, classic, legendary creators, and a lot of great current creators as well, as reflected on today's Word Balloon. We're going to start things off with Rascally Roy himself, the legend, Roy Thomas. Really excited about this conversation. I've been wanting to do it really since the start of Word Balloon, and uh, Roy's such a busy guy working on Alter Ego Magazine and a lot of other things that he's been writing. We talk a bit about that in the conversation. And uh, in the past I've you know, emailed him and he's like, Well I can give you, you know, maybe fifteen or twenty minutes. And my thought was, Oh, I can't, you know, it's Roy Thomas. My God. The guy's been writing comics for decades. He's covered every character in the Marvel universe and a good number of the DC universe characters as well. I, I can't I can't do it. So I would turn him down and be like, No no no, not enough time. And then uh, John Semino who uh, you might know in Toy Circles as a Stretchy Hulk Guy. Uh, he is uh, one of the guys behind Terrificon, and uh, he uh, helps Roy out and is his front man. And I talked to him, and, and we arranged this conversation. We were only going to talk for a half hour, and thankfully I think Roy got going and uh, uh, maybe enjoyed the conversation enough that we were able to continue talking for a good hour. And uh, really excited to give it to you today. Uh, it's kind of my greatest hits request, I mean, there's not a lot of Conan talk, there's not a lot of Avengers talk, there's a little bit in there, but I really was interested in Roy's World War II comics. Uh, Things like The Invaders and The All-Star Squadron, they're among my favorite Roy Thomas books. So I really wanted to focus on that, but of course within the conversation we couldn't help but mention his uh, uh, role in the development of Wolverine and uh, a lot of other great subjects. Conan does come up, The Avengers, we talk a little bit about the current Marvel movies, So it's a a great conversation with Roy. And certainly we talk about Alter Ego, his magazine that uh, he's been editing since its inception. And uh, he and his staff are uh, continuing to bring the silver and golden age alive with great interviews with living creators and uh, their children in some cases. And, uh, man, I'm excited for some of the stuff that's coming up in Alter Ego. So Roy Thomas for part one of today's Word Balloon. Part two, another guy I've been meaning to have on for years. And that is one of the best Spider-Man artists that has come along in the last 20 years. And that's Ryan Stegman. I'm telling you, man, Ryan always gives his best work. He has been incredible at Marvel, both on Spider-Man and Satellite Spider-Man titles. He's currently working with Donny Cates on Venom. In fact, their latest issue just came out this week. And it's a great chance to uh, catch up with Ryan, a guy that I've you know met a few years ago and We'd have conversations at conventions in the past and always meant to have them on, as I say in the interview. And then you look up and realize that it's been three years since uh, we've you know, planned on having a conversation. So finally, Ryan Stegman on today's Word Balloon. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support. Subscribing through Patreon and also just anecdotally uh, sending me emails and uh, tweet messages and saying how much you like the show through Facebook as well. Uh, it really means a lot. And I appreciate that uh, you appreciate what I'm trying to do here. Just trying to bring you the best conversation in comics I can possibly do. And, uh, you know, again, today I think is a great example of that. If you like what you hear at Word Balloon and uh, think it uh, helps you enrich your love of the comic book world and the geek culture world, and you want to help me out, uh, if you want to help by subscribing via Patreon, that's great. Word Balloon is free. It'll always be free. But if you can help the cause out, is it worth a dollar a month? Is it worth $3, the price of a comic book a month? You know, again, I think I give you hours of uh, enjoyment here at Word Balloon. And if you want to help the cause out, you can uh, help by subscribing to Word Balloon via Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash word balloon, or you can click on the front page Patreon ad at wordballoon.com. But thank you very much for your continued support, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by In Stock Trades. Because of his body of work, instocktrades.com is the perfect place to shop for Roy Thomas product, man. I am telling you. Uh, among them, you can get the Avengers Legion of Unliving, uh, a great collection of Avengers stories back from the 70s. Roy and his uh, wife, Dan Thomas, also Steve Engelhardt in this collection, Tom DeFalco, Kurt Busiek. It's 42% off, uh, $17.39. You can also get Black Bolt, Something Unhuman This Way Comes. This is Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway with great art from Neil Adams and Mike Sikowski. 42% off for this collection. It's just $4.63. There is a ton of Conan the Barbarian product from Roy that's available. Chronicles of Cronin, trade, back, trade paperback, volume 15. Uh, this is uh, got Roy stuff in there and John Buscema art, Neil Adams, among Ernie Chan, among uh, the great artists, 42% off, $9.83. Or you can get volume 16, The Eternity War, and other stories. And uh, again, uh, this is uh, Roy Thomas and also Jam DeMatteis doing the writing, Uh, John Buscema and Ernie Chan doing the art. Uh, This one is 42% off, $9.83. Lots of Conan, lots of other great Marvel works as well. Uh, Also, things like Roy's amazing work in Alter Ego, doing some tremendous behind-the-scenes interviews on the Justice Society run from 1940 to 1951, and also even the Seven Soldiers of Victory. That's all covered in the All-Star Companion Volume 3 trade paperback from Tomorrow's, all written by Roy Thomas, 40% off, $16.17. Just some of the great books that are available now at InStockTrades.com with Roy Thomas' name on them. Hey, don't take my word for it. Go to the website. You're going to find great books at great prices. Don't forget your orders for $50 or more. Receive free shipping from our friends at InStockTrades.com. All right. Without further ado, let's get into our conversation now with Roy Thomas, rascally Roy himself, on Word Balloon. Roy Thomas, welcome to Word Balloon. It's a pleasure to have you on, sir. Great. Well, I'm I'm happy to be here wherever here is. Well, I'm I'm in Chicago, but you know we we do pretty good. Okay, well, we're, we're a worldwide we're, audience, so
2: we're together in in cyberspace. You know
1: exactly. <laughs> well, you know, Which we look a little
2: like uh, I guess where the Ant Man and the Wasp were in that recent movie.
1: <laughs> I haven't had a chance. To, I'm embarrassed to say I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Have you? Uh, seen well.
2: Yeah, it's it's all right although I don't know why we knew two ant man and two wasps but other than that it's a it's it's a <laughs> nice visual treat.
1: Well, as someone who's written big avenger epics, I should ask you what you thought of Infinity War.
2: Well, it's a big visual epic. Uh, I I've never been as as big on the the super cosmic thing that Jim Starlin who's, you know, certainly a, a friend and a very talented, you know, guy, uh has always been into with his Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity War, etc. That was never my, I mean, I did a couple of those, the Creeps, War, and so yes. forth. But I was never as big on the cosmic war kind of scale. So, in some ways, that wasn't my kind of movie. But I have to say, you know, it definitely, um, it definitely looks like a, a Marvel comic, of, you know, not just a Starlin uh, comic, but you know, a a big giant crossover with a lot of lot of stuff happening. And so, in many ways, it was perhaps the uh, almost the closest equivalent so far to a an actual. Uh, you know, classic uh, Marvel comic—at least one of you know a few decades ago during the classic period. I would agree. And, you know, yeah. so, so that's uh, that's that's kind of good. I'm looking forward to seeing the uh, the second part. And of course, you know, my my main concern is that they bring the vision back to life. That that's about <laughs> all I uh, I really care. They can kill off anybody else, but uh, just keep the vision around.
1: I hear you, man. No, and uh, <laughs> I really appreciated. Uh, you know, in fact. Your, uh, your story of the Vision when they collected it in the Treasury edition was literally one of the first Avengers stories I ever read, and uh, it which was so- one? You mean the very first one? Yeah, Avengers well, 57? Even, yeah. Well, and of course, even a Vision can cry, or even an android could. cry. Yeah, that the was phone. the next issue. Yeah, it was yeah. really a sort of a two-part story in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, that was amazing, and yeah, I mean, again, they they put it in one of those giant-sized treasure, Treasury uh-huh. editions. That's the first time I read it, so that was my first exposure to the vision and ah. yellow, yellow jacket and black panther and all these characters that maybe marvel fans take for granted and it was it was very exciting for this nine-year-old well, when i well, read they it
2: all had then. to start you know they all had to start somewhere i sure. mean there was <laughs> there was a day when i first walked into a store and you know saw superman or batman for the first time as a kid or you know the flash as a teenager or uh, you know fantastic four number one as a just graduated college student i mean you know there's always a a first for something whether it's uh, the original comic or whether it's a reprint you know, five years later or a half a century later. So every comic that comes out, somebody's seeing it for the first time.
1: Well, I know uh, next month at Terrificon, you're doing a panel with Jim Starlin to talk about yes. Marvel Com- Cosmic, and you'll be talking about the Kree-Skull War, and I, and I have the pleasure of moderating that panel, so I'm excited to do that. Oh, you that. do? Well, okay. But for we'll, the... Lit- we'll,
2: we'll hopefully show up and uh, <laughs> and everything. Yeah, I, I saw it uh, uh, at... Uh, Another convention, I guess it was the New Jersey convention, I, I, as a matter of fact, Mitch Halleck and, had arranged for us all to go, but I had trouble ap- appreciating it the first time I saw it because I was we were in the, like, the second row or something, and, and it was 3-D, and I have a an eye that's kind of, my right eye's kind of gone bad at me, so I really, it, uh, I don't know, I don't, I don't get as much out of 3-D, and you, especially not from the second row looking up, you know, it's sort of all lost, so I had trouble appreciating. Uh, just kind of watching the picture that night, you know, Which? because I had to go see it a second time in order to kind of appreciate it.
1: Oh, was that for Infinity War? Was that the plan?
2: Yeah, yeah, Infinity War, yeah. Got it, okay. Well, you Whether know... When it first, you know, come out, that was just like first or second day to had come out, yeah.
1: I understand. Well, you know, uh, with our limited time, I wanted to focus on one thing of yours that I loved, and I, and I don't hear you talk about it enough, and that's The Invaders, because I, I was such a fan of... Of your of your run on the invaders and, and even mm-hmm. when you came back to it a couple times in the nineties mm-hmm. and such, um, I, I'm really interested. Was it was it hard to convince Marvel to do a book that reflected on their golden age? I mean, did you have to be at a, a place of power to get that book greenly? Can you tell us how? That well, you,
2: it was really yeah. more that I was leaving a place of power. Uh, what happened is that I had just stepped down as the uh, as the editor in chief in '74. I was just in the process of leaving that job. Stan and I had really more because of other people than because of ourselves, had kind of come to an impasse where it just made more sense for me to, to leave the job than to stay. Uh, Stan was being caught in between me and, uh, you know, uh, the uh, the president of the company uh, who didn't like me because, you know, he felt I was too much on the side of the uh, the artists, the writers, and not always, a, you know, a company man and that kind of thing. Maybe he was right. So anyway, I was leaving. And, and when I was leaving, I needed to get myself um, – some assignment because I was getting a contract in order to like one of the first contracts, maybe below the level of stand that Marvel had given out, uh, to um, you know write and be the editor of my own material, not subject to the new editor in chief, but only to Stan. And uh, so I, I wanted a couple of new books and I wanted to get them outside the Marvel mainstream. Uh, Partly because I was, you know, I'd written all those characters at one time or the other, just about, and partly because I didn't want to have to coordinate a lot of stuff with other writers and artists. You know, Uh, I just felt like I just wanted my own little corner. I already had that to some extent with the very popular Conan books. You bet. You know, there were two of those, and they were some of the big money makers in the uh, in the uh, at Marvel at the time. But I wanted to get one or two more titles that would be. You know, outside that mainstream, no coordination, no no reason to ask another writer or another editor, you know, what I could do with the characters. So I figured if I did a story, if I did stories set in World War two uh... with, you know, Captain America, Human Torch, and Submariner, I wouldn't have to coordinate with anybody because. You know, nobody could say, Well, I'm using Captain America that month, so you can't use him, you know, or I'm using this or that guy because they weren't using him in nineteen forty one, forty two, which is when the book was set. Sure. And the other thing I did was um I I sort of assaulted the uh the earth there a little bit by uh um Stan had this idea back about uh about about sixty eight, right about right before all the characters got their own titles, you know, when the anthology characters all got their own titles. Mm-hmm. He had had, the, he had had this idea after the success of this one issue with the Hulk and Submariner fighting for the whole issue of Tales to Astonish. He'd had the idea for a while of teaming up the Hulk and the Submariner as a team and calling them the Invaders. And he quickly forgot about it, decided, ah, you know, it, it really wouldn't work, keep doing it month after month. But uh, I remember that he liked that title. Of course, in between, there had been this uh, TV show, but that only lasted one season, and nobody really remembered it that well. Uh, so, uh,. So when I, when I told Stan this idea about, you know, I I said it's gonna, you know, it's gonna have you know Captain America, one of the big characters, plus the Human Torch and Submariner, uh, and we'll have other characters in, and it'll just be stories set in World War II, sort of like the ones he and Jack, you know, had done with Captain America a few years oh, earlier. Sure. And I said, and I said, I've got a great title. I said, it's the Invaders. And Stan said, I like that name. <laughs> Not remembering it, it was it was one that he had proposed for a series years earlier, and I didn't remind him. So you know, by the time I walked out of the room, I had a new uh, monthly, you know, title to uh, to do, and that that was the reason I did it. Uh, I was interested in World War II, and uh, you know, I'd written Sergeant Fury and His Howling Commandos, sure. and. Uh, I was very interested in the home front of World War II, and I was fascinated by comics history and the fact that the, um, you know, the superheroes had all kind of started right before or during World War II. All the great superheroes, the Marvel ones, the DC ones, you know, the Fawcett ones like Captain Marvel and all the others—they almost all came to fruition during that period from the late 30s through uh, the mid 40s. And uh, so I thought, well, this would be this would be their heyday in a way, and be a great. Uh, excuse to write new adventures of them such as should have been done by Timely back in the 40s but they never really had those characters to get together much after the the initial uh, Torch or fights. They never really you know they had two issues after the war with uh, those characters together in the All Winners squad but it was only when they were already you know past their prime and beginning almost to die out yeah. and nobody, nobody saw them. I don't even know if as a kid I saw them but I, and I bought almost everything of that sort but uh so I figured this way I could finally do that kind of book and have a lot of fun with it. And I wasn't under the assumption that it would be necessarily one of Marvel's you know, big sellers, but we did okay for, you know, for a while with
1: it. Well, I'll tell you, it was literally one of my favorite uh, books that you were putting out. Mm. And uh, I, I absolutely loved the idea of these backstories. I think because I grew up with those 100-page spectaculars where they were reprinting all the mm-hmm. uh, Justice Society stories in the JSA, and like you said, I, I was surprised that Timely never made that move, or even yeah. with the success in the '60s of the Justice League. And granted, we had the mm-hmm. Avengers and everything, but with Gardner Fox, you know, doing the crossovers and stuff with the JSA, that it never occurred to Stan and 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 the Marvel team that you know they wouldn't, yeah, or, you know, yeah. mind that. Or to stuff.
2: DC, they never DC never did either until I got there in 1980. That's right, with All Star Squadron. Yes, and I was—I was a one-man, uh, you know, cheerleader for World War II stories. I guess. So you, pin- I can understand why. I mean, it was already several decades in the past, and uh, <laughs> you know, American uh, readers don't have a real great interest in history. But I figured, well, you know, this was still the era where the great heroes, the Red Skull, and you know, yeah. Adolf Hitler. I mean, you know, uh, what's not to like about that?
1: And also the great costume designs, both the timely heroes and um the dc heroes as well the national mm-hmm. heroes because yeah i mean even even you know captain america knockoffs like the patriot when i saw mm-hmm. him in your in your liberty legion stories i'm like yeah. oh that's an interesting character and and yeah. uh, well first of all i wanted to ask regarding the invaders working with frank robbins and i was one of those kids that i'm i have to say at at first i'm like oh man <laughs> what a what an ugly style but then well yeah it was compelling well but you know as i've matured <laughs> And and read things like his great comic strip Johnny Hazard, I'm like, oh, this yeah. guy's a genius. And and yeah. I have a great regard now for his art, yeah. no matter. Yeah, what. Yeah, but the
2: problem is, you know, the people who are deciding whether comic books lived or died were more like you as a kid than you as an adult. <laughs> Did I was like him? I was very happy to, in some ways to get it. He was somebody else's suggestion, but you know, uh, it it made sense to me. He had just sort of come over, you know, from doing working at uh, DC, I guess, and. Okay. uh um uh, I, I liked his work, what little I'd seen of it, and John Ramida, the art director, was a big fan of his, you know cause, because uh, Ramita was a big fan of Milk Kniff, so naturally he was a big fan of and, and he really admired Robbins. The one thing sure. that was a problem with Frank: Frank was great. He was a great storyteller. He was wonderful with the details of World War II because, of course he had lived through you know that era. And he would toss things in that, you know, uh, a younger artist wouldn't have thought of without me directing him. You know, he would just toss a lot of stuff in. The, the nice touches, just wonderful. And the storytelling was great. But he had one problem, and that is that he had a drawing style based on a kind of a his own particular version of Milt Kniff and, yeah. and, and the Luther style that somehow was didn't really mesh with the kind of Kirby-inspired, you know, storytelling, which Marvel was uh, was doing. Uh John Romita was an example of the absolute perfect blend and had been since the 1950s when he did Captain America of the Milk Kniff School with the Jack Kirby School. You look at that, you can see equal parts of those two artists in, in the wonderful work he did back in the 50s, which is my favorite of his work. Uh, Frank, though, Frank admired Kniff, but to him, the Kirby-type stuff, you know, that was just bad drawing, I think. <laughs> and so when he would draw this stuff, the figures tended to look too rubbery or floating in the air and, and didn't have the... Uh, I don't know, it didn't have the right feel somehow. Uh, what I did, which was both uh, sacrilegious to some and, and at the same time successful, was to have it inked by Vinnie Coletta, who had been the inker of Far, quite popular, uh, and who had a lot of faults, including all, not always inking everything that was on the page, etc., and doing it at a rapid pace. But the readers really liked his work. He kind of noodled it up, and somehow he and Frank together, uh, the book sold really well for that first seven or so issues that uh, he was inking it. Now, I won't say that it's necessarily because of this, but the very first issue that about number eight or nine that I, that uh, Vinny left because he became a, what an assistant art director or something at D.C., um, the, the very first issue after he left, I had the very talented Frank Springer ink the book, and, yes. and he made it look much, much more like real Frank Robbins, and the sales dropped never really recovered from that wow. <laughs> you know? we we went along for a while and, and you know we got to forty forty or fifty issues, and could have gone on i I think if it hadn't been for Jim shooter kind of you know just being as happy to see books I had fail uh I think that the book could have easily gone on. I think there were other things in play besides just sales figure, though it certainly wasn't a big seller, but uh in you know in its later years when it was finally dropped. Uh and I screwed up a little bit by not writing all the stuff myself. My friend Don glute did a good job and some yes. things. But I should have watched over it myself and not uh given out the writing to uh, anybody else, except that I had just moved about that time to Los Angeles and, you know, it was a different life. I was doing a little bit of work in other fields and, you know, dating again after uh my, you know, divorce and everything. So you know, somehow comic books weren't really quite center front and foremost in my mind as they'd once been. Did so I was very happy to uh, have somebody else write some stories, you know, that I could just edit. And uh, that, you know, probably wasn't the best for uh, the invaders, despite the good work that Don did. So there were just a lot of a lot of different things. But it is funny that book sold as long as. I don't know if it's magic or what, but as, as long as Vinny inked it, it sold. And as soon as Vinny left it, it stopped selling.
1: That's pretty cool. And and I'm glad to hear, because I, I've certainly heard both sides of the argument about Vinny Coletta. And uh, <laughs> it's part of Well, that's what makes comics fascinating. And he's certainly a character. And I uh, have appreciated uh, the anecdotes and and hearing... A, uh, an advocate in terms of Vinny's style, because yeah, he is kind of notorious for. Uh, yeah, I like erasing. the style.
2: I, he's <laughs> the kind of guy could have been a really good anchor if he took a little more time, but that wasn't his, you know, his style. His idea was, you know, he, he was fairly good. I mean, Stan liked his style and and had a personal relationship with Vinny to some extent. Um, the readers liked his style. His Thor inking was quite popular. Uh, there wasn't any you know rank and hue and hue and cry against, uh, from the readers against Vinny Coletta. That was all either in the professionals themselves or maybe a few of the a few older readers who uh, you know noticed that you know the Kirby stuff maybe looked like it'd been simplified a little bit. But the fact remains, from the point of view of just seeing what came out on the page, his Thor stuff uh, holds up. Very well. No, it's not Fantastic Four inked by Joe Sinnott, sure. but it beats the hell to me out of Fantastic Four inked by two or three other people that had inked the book in the past.
1: Understood. And also, uh, I always felt he drew beautiful women or inked beautiful women, and I and uh, that
2: was his specialty. He was yeah. a romance artist, and he could he could he could actually draw when he wanted to. He's just, he just preferred to he just preferred to wheel and deal rather than actually work. You know, <laughs> he had his other things. He had his. Uh, he had his photographer's studio with all the nude models, you know, a few blocks away from Marvel where he, where he would invite me or whoever happened to be the editor-in-chief of the week, you know. And, uh, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, he, he preferred not to get by on talent, even though I think he had plenty of it.
1: Interesting. Very interesting. Um, you know, your your what-if story, which I thought was such an uh, such a marvelous solution to what does the Marvel Universe do when Captain America goes missing – and what really, yeah. what, the, what the United States does. And, I and yeah. man, I, I'll tell you, I love that story. And I'm so happy that uh, it's been kind of shoehorned into continuity now. I think Baker mm-hmm. and...
2: Well, I, I, I had mentioned at the time that uh, that even though this was a comic called What If, that this actually was a story in continuity. I've been pleased to see that it's been kind of, you know, left that way. Absolutely. It was intended from the get-go that even though this was a breach of the uh, format of the book or it's, its purpose, uh, that it was still one I wanted to do. Since I was the editor, and Stan didn't say no because I didn't ask him, uh, you know, it just it just got by the way it was. What happened is, that when I'd been the editor, um, I had assigned uh, Steve Engelhart and asked him to take care of these this matter with you know what happened to the Captain America that you know after 1945 when there were still Adventures from 45 to 49 and plus the you know the return in the 50s. Yes. And Steve did a wonderful you know storyline there, you know, uh, and everything except yes. for one thing. Everything he did was fine, but he didn't really take care of the uh, of the uh, the whole period. You know, he didn't handle – you know, he sort of had that 50s Captain America like he went crazy or something like this. Right. I forget all the details. Yeah. But anyway, he didn't take care of that whole period of who had been – you know, of, of who had been the – a Captain America in the 40s, and then he and did see come back in the 50s? Was it somebody else or whatever it was? So I decided that uh, since he had done a fine story, but but it didn't cover all the bases I wanted, I would just take care of the rest of it myself in that one what if, and you know I have a kind of a fun story itself. Since there had been two issues of the All Winners Squad with uh, number 19 and 21, I kind of acted like this, you know, in a sense was the missing All Winners number 20. <laughs> It was great, man. Oh, I guess maybe – oh, I guess actually it took place maybe before, I forget. But anyway – I know what you uh, mean. <laughs> you know, I forget all these details after all these years. You know, it's been – after all, it's been what? 40, 40 years or so since the and, – and more since the invaders.
1: That's true, and the and the what ifs as well. Man, great what if yeah. stories. And also, did you write that second one as well, where Bucky lived and Bucky took over the mantle, and Steve became? Uh, you know, kind that, of the McFerion I think that was shield? sort
2: of my idea. I think I didn't write it. I, that might have been why I gave Don or something to write. I, okay. I had a okay. number of the. I, I was going to write every issue myself, but I got kind of disgusted because without telling me, uh, the they uh, back at the office, uh, and for no particular reason, I wasn't late or behind or anything. They stuck in. What is probably a good issue, uh, issue number three, that they had Jim Shooter write about the Avengers uh, and everything. But I was annoyed because, the, you know, they just stuck it in without telling me in a book that I had created. And so I decided, ah, the hell with them. So I just, after that, I just didn't bother writing every issue and I decided to. You know, and and within about a year, I got off it, and you know, and just let other people take it over. You know, I, I had thought I wanted to write every issue, but then I decided, you know, once I saw one issue come out that I didn't do, it made me think, well, if I didn't do that issue, I don't care if I do the rest of them either. So I just did the ones I liked. After that, I did the Invaders. Uh, I did the Conan one. Yes, which um, is
1: fantastic. Conan in the modern I, world. I, re-
2: I yes. kind of wish I had done myself again. Don Glute did a fine job. I wish I had done that one about the nineteen fifties Avengers myself. That was on the idea of mine, and I would have done it just a little differently. But uh, Don did a good job with it. Uh, but I, you know, it's one that I, you know, liking the having been a kid myself in the fifties too, as as Don was. I, I think I would have had a, I, I would have, you know. Had a different take on it and so forth, but that's you know it it, it it turned out okay and the book had a lot of a lot of good moments and they they keep bringing it back so it was kind of a nice see that was another idea like the invaders that I made up at the time of leaving in order to give myself a book where I didn't have to check with anybody else because if I'm doing a what if story again nobody can say I need to check with a Spider Man writer sure. or the, you know or the Fantastic Four editor uh, to use the characters because this is a what if story anyway so it was just an attempt of mine to to avoid the whole problem of uh, continuity. Well, and Even other- though, of course, I'm the continuity kid, but I wanted to avoid it with... But I just didn't want to have to... I'd like the other editors, you know, Marv Wolfman, Len Wein, all, Jerry Conway, they're all Archie Goodwin, all friends of mine, but I just didn't want to have to deal with them or with the other writers. I wanted to, especially after I got to California, I just wanted to go off in my own corner and write and the heck with them all, you know?
1: Well, sure. And I know that... Um, I, 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 in another conversation, I'd love to hear more about... Uh, your yeah. complicated. If, uh, you
2: know, I, I, if you need a little more time, I I I mentioned the half hour just in case we needed to. But you know, if you need another fifteen twenty minutes, we can okay, we can man. talk. I don't want to. Yeah, you no, know, because I, I, I felt bad making it short and you oh, know no. and everything.
1: And and, and truly, right? I appreciate you saying that, and and also I know that again, I know how busy you are, so I do appreciate that. Well, we'll keep going now. I uh, well, and also I also wondered if uh, what if obviously was inspired by. Uh, those great 60s imaginary stories that D.C. was doing as well.
2: To some extent, they were. Of course, my first job, you know, was as the assistant editor to Mort Weisinger on Superman at the time they were doing those stories. Sure, I I sort of always – I liked the idea and some of the stories. I mean, I didn't read Superman regularly, but I sort of liked the idea. But the idea of an imaginary story is sort of to say, you know, it didn't happen. And since I did like the idea of Parallel Worlds, you know, um, Stan didn't particularly, but I did – uh, so I figured, well, if I have the Watcher introduce these stories and say they're happening like on Parallel Worlds, it made them not imaginary stories. They were stories of an alternative world. And I'd already you know, done that with the Squadron Sinister and Squadron Supreme and sure. Avengers, sure. so I'd already kind of introduced that into Marvel, uh, Marvel's version of Earth 2 at the time, I suppose. And uh, so, I, so I just carried it on in this particular case.
1: And I loved in that first issue of What If... When Spider-Man joins the Fantastic Four, uh, when the Watcher, and you just have glimpses of on this world, you know, Kill Raven. This is happening, and on uh, mm-hmm. various other worlds, and and certainly the Squadron Supreme was. Uh, a there one was of those even a hint
2: of the Superman Spider-Man story, even though you couldn't show Spider-Man a Superman just his fist.
1: <laughs> I forgot. Or about maybe that. you missed that. That's excellent. Now I got to go back and look at that. That's fantastic. <laughs> oh yeah, there's a fist hitting hit the
2: air around Spider-Man, which is taken from the you know, that first tabloid and everything. And, uh, I could, you know, I couldn't mention Superman's name, so I had to be kind of coy about it. But yeah, I wanted to mention all these because obviously, you know, I had made up the concept for the, uh, the war of the world series, even though I never ended up writing it. And again, you know, I felt like, uh, you know, this is another parallel earth version of, uh, you know, uh, of the world. So, uh, you know, it, i it, the, this was a good way to just be able to do anything we wanted to, you know, uh, starting with the idea of what if, what if in that famous little incident, you know, in, uh, what was it, in, in Spider-Man? Yes. Uh, that, uh, what if Spider-Man really had joined the Fantastic Four, and you know, and, and then, you know, what if this happened, what if that happened? And, and except for that Invader story, you know, they were all, uh, you know, parallel world stories. That uh, The only one that wasn't, I guess, was what if number four.
1: And when that would be the, yeah, the uh, Captain America. The, invaders, yeah. Yeah, the Invader, yeah. If I've got the number right. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I
0: think you're right.
1: <laughs> the uh, no, they're they're great, and you know I'm glad you mentioned uh, that you conceived Kill Raven because I appreciated a lot of that '70s output from Marvel, where clearly you were tapping pulps and and you know concepts beyond uh, traditional superheroes and bringing back old ideas, but kind of you know modernizing them for for the comic book world, and certainly Iron Fist fits in that in that world as well. Um I, I you know, I, I was yeah. a big Lost Horizon fan and I certainly recognized mm-hmm. the
2: yeah, I've never the read tropes. the book. I thought I saw the movie.
1: Sure, me too, man. <laughs> and, and of
2: course <laughs> and of course we were actually taking it not from not directly even from Lost Horizon, movie or book, but from uh... the comic book uh version that Bill Everett had swiped of it in nineteen thirty nine, the Amazing Man character, which Gil Kane was a big fan of, so when I told him about you know this character I wanted to do called Iron Fist and so forth he immediately uh, came up with this idea, let's swipe a lot of stuff, you know, from the Amazing Man book I always loved. And I was only, you know, I was less familiar with it. I had seen it, but, you know, I didn't know the copy of it. And so he told me what the story was, and we just made that the plot, you know.
1: Absolutely, man. With
2: with the blessing of, uh, you know, Bill Everett had always said we could do do something with Amazing Man if we wanted to. That's why we ended up doing that. And then later when i went to dc i actually made up a character called amazing man i knew stan wouldn't like that name at marvel but when once i was uh you know doing all-star squadron at dc i could actually use that name that that, at marvel Stan, i said was
1: way too carny you know very interesting well and let's if we can then yeah let's talk a little bit about all-star squadron and you coming over to dc did was first of all yeah the jump to dc was it because you weren't getting along with shooter yeah that simple okay
2: and did it's that simple okay well <laughs> well, go well on. My, i just felt he i felt he lied to me in some negotiations and so forth and uh and we could have parted you know in a more friendly turn, but after after what i felt were lies or at least de- deliberate misinformation i i really didn't intend to uh to deal with him anymore and I had a long standing offer from d c so I decided to take it i didn't i didn't have any great desire to work for d c but it did it did, you know. Uh, it would be a kick, you know. I felt to get to, you know, play around with the Justice Society, which sort of made it worthwhile.
1: Did they offer that to you, or did you pitch that to them?
2: No, they 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 sort of wanted me to when I came over. You know, they they had had a Justice Society series that had ended up in Adventure Comics and only been canceled about a year before, yes. which is why which is why they were amenable to the idea that instead of just bringing back the Justice Society only about a year after it had gone under. They were amenable to my doing this World War II group, you know. I was aware again that that probably wouldn't sell as well as a modern day, but I, you know, by that stage, I got to admit I had very little interest in comic book sales, except obviously you had to sell enough copies to keep the uh, editors and everybody off your back. And eventually, I didn't, but I did for a long
1: time. Well, because it was such a great series, man, and again. I, yeah, I enjoyed that. That doesn't
2: necessarily mean they'll sell. There's a yeah. lot of good series that don't sell at no, all.
1: No, you're right. It's still happening today. You're 100 percent right. Yeah, but the uh, no, I enjoyed the again because of I think reading those reprints. Loved that adventure comics uh, and uh, all star all star comics uh, run. I talked to Keith Giffen about that in the past and how much uh, they made uh, Superman look like that classic Joe Schuster. Uh, look and everything. Mm-hmm. That was really great. But then you had to go back yeah. to... World well, world.
2: Wally Wood had done that back when uh, he was working with Paul Levitz on the book. He had done that one or two issues, yeah. too. I, I think that was one of the first times that was done, consciously, and everything. And uh, I just like to play around with these things and, you know, kind of ignore the... Uh, and again, it was a way of keeping out of D.C. continuity, too. I, once again, I I just as soon be off in my own little world as much as possible at D.C. and not have to interact with the other... Uh, you know, writers and editors. I felt, you see, I, my feeling was I'd, I'd worked with what I felt was the best editor in comics at the time, you know, and for and, and for quite a few years, Stan Lee, much as I liked Julie Schwartz and other, you know, editors and respected what they did. So I really wasn't that wild about knuckling under to a bunch of guys who I felt, gee, didn't know nearly as much as my last boss or as much as necessarily what he had taught me. So I figured I'd just go and do my own thing, and as, as long as that worked for me, it did. And when eventually that stopped selling enough books, well, then I had to figure out, you know, another way to make a living, you know.
1: Sure, absolutely. Now, I know um, your, your former wife, Dan, she co-wrote All-Star uh, Squadron. And... It's not
2: my former wife. She's my wife now. Oh, I it's, beg your pardon.
1: Yeah. I beg your pardon. Yeah, it was my I,
2: wife. Uh, my first wife, Jean, she, who, had co- who had written things like Night Nurse and Spidey Super Stories. Yeah, Dan and I worked together, uh, you know, at uh, a little at Marvel. Uh, you know, she helped me with a couple of plots, but mostly when I went to D.C., yeah, I got her involved. And everything. And she worked with me for uh, several years there. And when I went back to Marvel, you know, less so, though we still have a lot of credits at Marvel together based on plotting together.
1: That's cool. Well, I'm glad you guys are together, too, because I thought, yeah, you guys were a great writing team. And I wondered, like, what would you say, What could you quantify what her contributions were to writing All Star Squadron? <laughs> well, it, it depended. It depended. In some cases, uh, she was, we, we plotted them together.
2: Uh, and there was sometimes her idea, sometimes mine, or I had a little idea. and she would flesh it out. <clears throat> and sometimes she would bring things, you know, that, you know, I wouldn't have thought of because I'd been engrossed in the comics thing so much. <clears throat> but in some of the books, especially at DC, not at Marvel ever, but at DC, she was often the writer of the first draft of the dialogue, too, especially on books like, I, I know, quite a few issues of Infinity Incorporated she did the first draft of. And then we did that four issue series, Johnny Thunder, a.k.a. Thunderbolt. Yes. Uh, she did the first draft and is. And and, you know, and as a matter of fact, that book is pretty close. I mean, I, it was more like I did some editing of her rather than co-writing it. Really. I see.
1: Okay. And I, and. Um... So it, 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 it varied, you know, it, uh, you
2: know, it varied. And, and, you know, on other books like All-Star Squadron and Eric, uh, we, we sort of co-plotted. And Eric was originally, you know, really uh, based on an idea of hers, really not mine.
1: Oh, interesting! I didn't realize that. Well, the well,
2: we were ta- we were talking about doing something. They wanted some kind of Conan type character from DC, and I had thought about getting another Howard character, and you know, and you know, or making up a character like that. And Dan came up with this kind of weird idea about what if a, what if an American Indian discovered Europe, you know? And from that uh, came eventually Arax, Son of Thunder.
1: Oh, really cool, man! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's amazing. At first, and now you know, you, you see the title and you don't know how to pronounce it. But yeah, now that you say it, yeah, now yeah, well, exactly, it, because at first time I'm like, I don't well, you know, anywhere. a lot of people can't,
2: couldn't pronounce Conan for years. Some people would pronounce it Conan. I'd hear people, you know, say or <laughs> sure. uh, you know, Red Sanja. I mean, I yes. don't care as long as they buy it. They can pronounce it however they wanted to. <laughs> I I grew up my entire childhood reading the first time around, reading about a character I thought was named the Submariner because sure. I never heard the word pronounced uh, by anybody, and also thinking that the whole time I think since I never saw the movie serial at the time. All the way through his end in 1953, I thought that Captain Marvel's magic word—I pronounced it sh- uh, shazam. I never said Shazam. Oh, interesting. Even though now I see that's a more obvious pronunciation, <laughs> you, you know. Be- but I always pronounced it shazam. you know sure. for the entire uh, six or seven years that I was, you know, reading that comic the first time through, you know, it didn't matter as long as I put my dime down. They didn't care.
1: <laughs> I remember your reboot of Shazam, and have to ask what you thought of the trailer. Uh. That they just dropped this. I
2: haven't movie. seen. I haven't seen the trailer.
1: Okay. Of the
2: uh, the new movie, it, it it looks like they're trying to find ways to bring what they can of the original character back. You know, even though they've had to make some changes.
1: I think you'll be pleased because they keep a lot of. Without spoiling it for you, they keep a lot of the yeah. classic tropes. And uh, yeah. and it, it feels like big, the Tom Hanks movie mm-hmm. applied to a superhero yeah. story, which yeah. is a great. Which idea. is
2: kind of funny because yeah, I, yeah, I started doing that back when, uh, by when it, whenever I started handling the character back in uh, stories like Secret Origins, where yes. I did where we. I think one of the first times that the uh, the had that had been done with with the um, the idea that he kept the uh, young mind when he had Captain Marvel's body was maybe when. Uh, Jerry Bingham and I did the reboot retelling of the first Captain Marvel story in one of the early issues of Secret Origins, and uh, then then Dan and I uh, together did um, that did a four issue series on uh, Shazam: The New Beginning yes. right, with a 30th edition of uh, a 30th anniversary edition, uh, which just came out, and we did it there. So uh, I don't know if we had big in mind particularly, but but uh, I don't I don't think you'll find that in a uh, much in a uh, Captain Marvel story before we did it, but, uh, I, you know, but I think that's I think that's a good approach at this particular stage to make the character different. Otherwise, if he's a different character, it's more like uh, my version of Captain Marvel at Marvel, you know, where there are two different people. And yes, that would that may have worked in a certain way back in the 40s. I don't think it would work as well now. But I do know that Mike Yuzlin, whose dream it's been to get, you know, the Shazam. Series into a movie. I, I know he's a fan of the original character, so I, I knew he'd want to do it, do right by it if he could.
1: I really enjoyed uh, when Rick Jones was uh, tied to Marvel and uh, the way you set things up. I thought that was a great homage, but also a very modern take on you know th- two different characters occupying the same space yeah. like that. It was it was pretty neat, and I always enjoyed yeah. Rick well, Rick Jones in the Negative Zone.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, he was always it was just an attempt to kind of save a book that was kind of going nowhere. To, you know it, it was a character Stan hadn't really wanted to do, and it I gave him a bad color scheme and everything, so I figured it was my <laughs> job to try to save it and I suddenly came up with the idea at home one morning, and I called Stan and told him, I got this idea of what's something to do with Captain Marvel, but I only do it if you uh, if you give the book to me and have me write it you know and uh, I guess he could have ordered me you know not to, but he said okay and so uh, I got it, and at that same time, by, co- by sheer coincidence, Gil Kane came in and wanted to said he'd like to do Captain Marvel, just you know, just not knowing what was going on with it. So we yanked the uh, plot back from uh, the artist who had it, gave him something else, and Gil and I worked together for the first time on it, and we really had a good time, and we worked together a lot after that.
1: You know, yeah, and uh, honestly, uh, what a, what a great opportunity for you when you came along that you were able to work with, uh, you know, some of these these great artists and stuff. And, I, I you know, it's great that you straddle these different generations with the... With the
2: yeah, I'm, hap- I'm really happy to, to do that. I feel I was very lucky to have come along, you know, at the time when I could still... I was thinking about this morning, uh, except for maybe I'd wonder when I did meet the, uh, at least one or more of the creators of, you know, most of the major characters, even Bob Kane, I exchanged a couple of sentences with once, you know, <laughs> and I was probably lucky that was about it, but I mean, I got to know Siegel and Schuster and spend a little time with wow. them, and, you know, Bill Everett was sort of a roommate off and on for two or three years, and, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I got to know Martin O'Dell and,
0: oh, I you know, him, uh, Redund God,
2: Green God. and and Harry Lampert of the Flash and Gardner Fox and you know all these guys. It was it was nice.
1: Absolutely, man. No, and um, you know, obviously with uh, with with Ditko's passing, I should ask you if you've got any good uh, Steve Ditko stories.
2: Well, none I haven't already told because there weren't that many. It's just you know he was just an odd character. He had his own way about him, and you know, some days I think what a great figure. of, Integrity—the way he, you know, turned down money—and then sometimes I think, boy, what an idiot for turning down all that money, <laughs> you know, and uh, everything. So, I, but I guess they're probably both true. But he was—he was a great talent.
1: Absolutely, my God, yes. Um, and uh,
2: so I, I know that uh, they're going to kill me though if we don't talk a little about the Terrificon. You think we should mention it? Well, at sure, all? sure. Or...
1: No, and you know, believe me, I'm going to. Well, my intent was to to cover that in the intro and the outro and everything. So, believe oh, okay. me, no, no, I got Mitch's back. He's he's got my back <laughs> as well. <laughs> all right. Well, cause it, yeah, they have your back with a knife if you don't mention it. <laughs> <I> guess, <yeah. laughs> no, I'm really. I and like I said, if and if you want, we can wrap up right. I don't. Again, I don't want to hurt you. But... No,
2: no, it's it's okay. Go okay. ahead. But uh, I, I just wanted to make sure we didn't forget that, because that's well, coming up. I have to go to Honolulu next weekend, sorry. but then two weeks after that is, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> well, I'll never get outside the hotel. I've been there before. I'm just going for the two days. To, I'll be inside signing comics the whole time. Oh, man,
1: I hear but, you, but yeah,
2: jeez. <laughs> I'm just going for the money, you know, but uh, no, I like Hawaii. I was there, you know, years ago for about a, week, for a couple of weeks with Dan and my mother, so, but you know, I won't have time to do much, so I'm just happy. I'll just sign stuff and then hop on a plane and come home. But, uh, I enjoy the Terrificon because it's such an unusual setting, you know, being it, being in a casino, even though I don't really, you know, gamble. But it's it's still a nice setting to kind of wander around in. It's different from the usual comic book convention.
1: I'm I'm absolutely looking forward to it, and I'm moderating a bunch of panels for Mitch, mm-hmm. and uh, and I guess we're doing two. We're going to do the uh, the Marvel Cosmic and also uh, the the Wolverine panel that you're going to do with the psychologist that wrote that interesting book about Wolverine.
2: Oh, that's right. I forgot. I, I just, you know, I just go wherever they tell me to, you Excellent. know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's Wolverine. I, you know, it's kind of funny. After after having the idea for Wolverine, I never really thought about it much, and then it occurred to me, well, you know, I ought, to, I ought to occasionally mention to people that I that I co-created the character. I mean, I got nothing but respect for what Len Wein and others, you know, did with it, but the fact remains that it was, you know... My idea, so I thought. Yeah, I may as well mention it occasionally. <laughs> yeah, know, it is, after all, the most famous character that I ever came up with the idea
1: for. Yeah, please tell us yeah. your con- about your contribution to creating Wolverine.
2: Yeah, well, it, it was it was really because of Canada. Um, I felt like uh, you know, it just occurred to me this was near the end of my time as being editor in chief, but you know, I knew we had. Um, a lot of Canadian readers, you know, I don't know, five or ten percent maybe, or several percent at least of our readers were Canadian, not even counting the Canadians living, in, you know, in the United States or somewhere that might buy one, and we didn't have a single Canadian, you know, character, and I thought, I didn't even know if there were any anywhere in comics, And I thought, yeah, we ought to have one, so I started thinking, you know, I, I thought, well, an animal title, I didn't want a Captain Canuck, you know, kind of title, sure. uh, I so I that decided guy. that, an animal would be good you know we always had animals and things like this and i thought you can't have a moose you know there's already one in archie and that's too dramatic and i came up with uh... uh at the turn out dave cockerman showed me a character he'd made up called wolverine later and i think he brought some elements into it later when he was drawing it but they didn't have anything to do with the character i what it is is i started thinking of animals and i came up with two uh... And if obviously if dave had been the influence uh, i wouldn't have had two uh... One was Wolverine, and the other was a badger and because both are very fierce creatures, sure. and the Wolverine in particular of course is is a small creature noted for taking on animals you know much bigger than itself, sort of the equivalent of the Tasmanian devil. you know if I'd been doing a character of foreign I might have made up a Tasmanian devil sure. but um so I came up with the the, uh, the name uh once I decided I called in Len, who was writing The Hulk, it seemed like a good place to introduce it, and i you know, uh, well, I, I asked him, but of course he didn't, you know, have a lot of choice in the matter, nor, nor did he have any objections, that I would like him right away to introduce in, in some in some story, uh, you know. And I think he, had, he he was just about to take the character up north, or maybe he did it for that reason. I'm not sure exactly. But anyway, I said I wanted this Canadian character. Uh, and he's called Wolverine. And, and one of the main things is, besides being fierce, you know, uh, bad-tempered, like a Wolverine, I said I wanted him to be short because all these heroes are always, you know, they're always six foot something, sure, you know. Sure. And I felt Wolverine, you know, I got no objection to Hugh Jackman playing him and everything like this. But in the comic book, I said I wanted him to be short, you know. Now Len went off and kind of rediscovered the wheel, I guess by and and forgot that I had told him this. But I told him I said he if he would brought if he or artist Herb Trippy or somebody had brought in a tall Wolverine, they would have been back to the drawing board. I said I, he's short and he's mean. And after that point, uh, you know, except for maybe looking over John Ramita's shoulder uh, a, a tiny bit, uh, Lend did more of that while I was, uh, you know, you know, uh, while the character was being developed. I, you know, the, after that point, I sort of left it all to, you know, to Len and John Romita and Herb. You know, I, I had done my part. It was, it was sort of the, uh, you know, equivalent of a one night stand. I guess. <laughs> you know, I go in and have my fun, and then I get out and leave somebody else do all the work. And of course, so all the. The development work, that was all done by Ramita designing the costume, and then Herb is the artist, and then Dave Cockrum came in and did other things with it, maybe making it look more like his character, especially when he took the mask off, you know, and uh, things of this sort. But I thought, well, I had done the job that I was hired for, which was to make up the idea for a good character, turn it over to a talented writer and a talented artist, and, uh, you know, then stand aside and watch them do their stuff. They came up either, you know, led or... Claremont with with all the other stuff, like the Adamantium claws, that was all them. Of course I'd made up Adamantium, but they were the one that ones that gave Wolverine Adamantium claws. Sure. And uh, you know, then of course uh you know, when I when we decided to do the X Men as an international group, of course, the Wolverine was a logical, you know, member, you know, for you know, for that as well.
1: Understood. No, and it it reminds me of uh the creation of Barry Allen and that he has many fathers. As well, you know. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So no, yeah, I
2: was always wondering when they were going to do a, fly, a Green Lantern movie, I said, well, who are they going to credit on the Green Lantern movie? Are they going to credit Martin O'Dell and Bill Finger, who created the original? Or are they just going to credit, say, you know, well, Julie Schwartz, who should be in there, too. Uh, John Broom and Gil Kane, who did the... Sixty. They they solved yeah. that problem by not crediting anybody.
1: Yeah, you know, I was going to ask. The movie. That, and I guess not. You're right about that. Yeah, that they didn't. I was yeah, they left the they credits put. out entirely. That and, and every, which was unfair to all concerned. You know. Agreed. And you know, one of my one the of my only thing worse is the only thing
2: worse is Wonder Woman. A really good movie, but you know, the co-creator, as far as I'm concerned, an original artist of Wonder Woman, is not even mentioned in that movie. They've got credits at the end for. Uh, what Ross Andrew Bob Caniger George Perez ten other people who have uh, done Wonder Woman over the years and of course Marston at the beginning but there's no mention of in the entire movie of H.G. Peter who uh, at least designed or co-designed the costume and drew the character from 1941 to 1958 almost every single story wow, except yeah. for three or four yeah and they and they totally screwed his memory because he doesn't have a uh, Legal representing force, I guess.
1: Yeah, you know, isn't that the way? And that's a shame. And that's funny. I was just talking to Denny O'Neill the other day, and and he was pointing out the benefits of having. And I forget the guy's name. Howard Chakins lawyer, and every, every everyone luckily is you know getting a check because they've all kind of allied themselves with Howard Jenkins' lawyer and are getting what they yeah, deserve in I, terms I, of their contributions. Yeah, I
2: don't, I don't, I don't get involved with lawyers. Whenever Marvel came to me about the uh, the deal, I had a couple of offers from not from Jacob himself out because, you know, we weren't in close contact, but somebody else offered to uh, have a lawyer, it might be the same guy and so forth. Maybe I should have done it. Maybe I'd get a better deal. But I just did not want to get involved with, you know, with lawyers. So, so I accepted the deal. They, uh... They gave me, maybe I won't get rich from it, but, uh, you know, I'm happy with it. Okay,
1: you're content with it. That's the important thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You
2: know. Well, you know, if, if I'd like him to even give me more
1: money. Well, sure. But, I, but I'm doing all right. I'm doing... Well, that's cool. <laughs> uh, you know, I should mention Alter Ego because, God, thank you for doing that book because um, I think pre 1980s. As much as the 20th century has been documented, that's where the whole start is really when you, you know, start in the, even the 70s. They didn't film everything. They didn't videotape everything, certainly. And uh, I'm really glad that you had uh, have been doing these great uh, interviews with, you know, Golden Age creators that have kind of slipped through the cracks. And uh, I love yeah. it. And do you record those? Do you, do you tape record those as well?
2: Well, I don't do many interviews myself. At the beginning of the thing, I did a handful of them. But I, didn't, I felt like, A, it's, it's not my thing exactly, although I could do it, and uh, B, I was lucky to run into other people that could do it better, particularly in the early days. Jim Amish did all these, this wonderful series of interviews yes. for about 100 issues, yes. and now Richard Arndt has taken over, and he's done some really fine ones, and there's other people in between that do individual things. So they do the recording. Of course, there are almost no golden age people around to be interviewed now That's anymore, yeah. but at least we got a, a lot of them down on tape uh, you know, while we could and uh now at least now i find um you know i'm interviewing widows or, or children but you know of of those some of those people or having articles that uh you know that study those people and do research on them but you know it's it's you, you know you get the first person accounts while you can and then after that you do you get the other people that remember the person or you go by records or whatever and at least that first 100 issues or so i was able to get a lot of the golden age people and and of course a lot of silver age people are gone too
1: yeah would you consider ever releasing uh, the the tapes? Because that's one of my favorite things on John Cook's Will Eisner documentary that he put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, those shop talk interviews that uh, Eisner did that he collected in a in a trade paperback. But it was so mm-hmm. great to hear him one on one with Kniff and Kirby mm-hmm. and.
2: Uh, well, the interviews are all the. The interviews mostly aren't my property, except for the handful I did myself with guys like Ramita and Erwin Hayes and a couple of them in the early days. They, they, they're the property of the people like Jim and Richard and That's others true. who do them. So anybody who wanted to approach them for the uh, the tapes, they would have them. You know, they may have made copies, you know, for a transcriber if they didn't transcribe them themselves, but they would have the tapes, and they are perfectly, uh, you know, legally capable of, uh, you know, of giving... of, of giving those tapes or selling those tapes or, you know, doing anything they, they want with them as far as I'm concerned. Well,
1: that's why I was hoping you might, with your with your conversations, put out an audio product of some sort. And especially, you know, in this digital age, it'd be great to have an MP3 download that you might sell of these great conversations. Well, I'm, because, I, you know, I'm, your insight... I'm kind
2: of a print person, you know. I'm, I'm kind of a print person and... <laughs> and uh, I haven't, I don't know, I'm 77, I haven't got the ambition to suddenly be working a lot with a lot of tapes, or, or okay. Well, you know, now would be, I mean, listen, you know, I'm just now getting into, you know, DVDs and CDs, and, and I'll be lucky to be able to buy a, the next PC and have a CD player in it, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I just wish they wouldn't invent anything for a couple of years, give us a chance to catch up, you know,
1: I do understand, you just
2: get used to something, and it's, uh, and suddenly it's, it's obsolete. I mean, you know, it goes the way. You know, a few ideas deserve to go away, like eight-track tapes, you know, which were never any really damn good anyway. <laughs> I
0: remember but, um, tips, absolutely. Uh, I mean, God,
2: I used to play those in the car. And yes. I remember trying to play chorus line, and, and half the songs were interrupted in the middle where the track turned over. <laughs> but, you know, but the other things, CDs and DVDs, those are wonderful things, and now everybody wants this stupid st- uh, streaming, and yes. that's fine. But, uh, you know, but why not be able to have an actual, you know, copy of something yourself? Uh, and everything. I I prefer that, and, uh, you know, I'll I'd, I'd be, I'd be lucky to be able to keep getting them. Uh, so I don't really want to get involved with making a lot of, you know, I, I think it's great that John Cook and these other people do that, but I'm not that interested in doing that myself. If, if Jim Amish and these other people wanted to make something out of their tapes or whatever, that would be just wonderful, or somebody else put them together. Well, you know, they could do it. They don't need alter ego for that. The only thing we retain is the right to reprint the article or interview one time and that's it you okay. know other than that it belongs totally to the
1: interviewer that's cool and, and and that's that's great and obviously as a creator that's great that you're thinking along those lines so do you do you shape the editorial like you know okay this is going to be the subject this month what is your beyond the the articles that you write in the editorial at the front and stuff what what do you do for alter ego
2: well i i totally decide what's going to be in it but of course i'm at the mercy of you know <laughs> of what somebody else uh does sure what's uh, coming in either, yeah. some, sometimes the idea is, is mine to do you know and, and i suggest to an interviewer that he interview this person or that person or I or i solicit uh, how about you writing this article or you know talk somebody into writing an article or whatever and but a lot of times the uh, interviewer uh Jim Amish before and and Richard Arnt and others now uh they they bring me the idea and say you know how about i interview this person or that person like one issue will be uh, uh, something that was you know my idea uh, and sometimes another, for example, the, the issue that will be coming out in a few months that I just put to bed uh, has a long interview with the widow of uh, Norman Maurer, if you know who that is. I do is. know Norman Maurer. Explain.
1: Yes, please.
2: Yeah, Ma- Norman Maurer was the, uh, well, he's known in part for being the partner at St. John in the, in the era of the 3D comics, yes. Joe Kubert. Um, he was the, he did all these wonderful Three Stooges comics, uh, partly because he was the son-in-law uh... <laughs> of uh... mo howard uh... The, the leader of the three stooges and so we're interviewing mo's daughter joan who was norman's wife uh... and we've got an interview that deals with the stooges and their comics and norman and and all that kind of stuff and you know that's really good in this case i knew joan slightly i i got to meet norman uh... A couple of years before he passed away He came to party at my place even and, and i was just really pleased i got to know him a, a great talent uh and I'd always wanted to do an interview, you know, with uh Joe so we so we got that together, but I had, you know, Richard, you know, do it and he did a wonderful job and uh another time Richard will have an I he'll he'll have an idea of somebody he wants to interview and that's what uh, Jim Amish when he was doing all these he would every month he would come, up, Oh, you know, how about I interview this guy and that guy and I'd say, Okay, go do it and send it in when it's done you know, then I'd make an issue out of it, you know. Uh I just put it put together the issues from whatever is available but of course now I have to sort of figure it out a year or two ahead of time so I always know what's coming up
1: that's excellent and I've I, got
2: I, way more stuff on the shelf that I'd be able to use in several years and it makes me feel guilty because there's some stuff I had and I can't seem to find the right place you know to put it in you know I understand because yeah. if something isn't quite a cover feature you know, then I have to figure out, well, where can I, you know, what issue can I fit it in where it'll have enough space, but it won't have to be the cover, you know.
1: I understand, and they're, they're amazing surprises every time Alter Ego comes out. I love comic book history. And mentioning Norman Maurer, I have to I have to let you know, when I was in high school, I interviewed Norman Maurer uh, because I had read uh, Moe's book. And, uh, and also, uh, I think, Free uh, Stooges' Scrapbook might have come out then as well, that Joan had mm-hmm. a part in. And, um, I had no idea while I was interviewing Norman, I spoke, I mostly focused on the Stooges and, and Norman also was the producer of a lot of their sixties right. films as well. And right. Uh, all, yeah, all of them, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right, actually. And, and, uh, it was about, what
2: three or four or five of them. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's really yeah. where they made, thankfully a lot, the bulk of their money, because I know, Karubia... right. the best stuff was the shorts,
2: but the fact remains, you know, at least the ones who survived the
1: two brothers or one of the
2: brothers and, uh, you know, and then and Larry Fine were able to make a little more money, maybe in their later years, because I think they got kind of screwed on those sharks. Absolutely.
1: Oh yeah, and I, you know, I, I uh, before he passed away, had a conversation with Joe Kubert about Norman, and I'm kicking myself that I didn't get the chance to interview Joe about Norman because, yeah, mm. I think I'm glad you're doing this. Yeah, they
2: were good friends from first to last for like fifty, sixty years. You know, or well. I, I, more like the thirty or forty years that you know Norman was alive. I
1: hear you. Well, and also the contribution that Norman made to comics, like you say with St. John's and those three D comics, were really this mm-hmm. interesting chapter. And and he was, a, yeah. you know, he was a good artist as well. I mean, it's, that's that's yeah. why I'm, yeah. I'm kicking myself. He did wonderful there.
2: work for uh, the Lev Gleason people on uh, Daredevil and uh, uh, Crime Buster back in those days. Oh, that's fantastic. So forth. Those th- it's funny. Those comics aren't collected much now, and right. they don't they don't seem to have much respect along with the Crime Does Not Pay that was the biggest seller yes. but you know in terms of uh, writing and drawing uh, the uh, the Lebegles and Crime Buster and Daredevil stuff uh, in C- Daredevil and Boy Comics was some of the best stuff that was on the mar- on the market at the time and some of the best sellers
1: I wonder if that stuff is like you know tied in some sort of ownership litigation that- No Oh it's No not- it's just it's just that
2: no it's just because they're not you know the straight superhero type as of- much I mean, Daredevil got overshadowed by that kid gang the little Wise guys, oh, that's right. uh, yes. and uh, and Crime Buster sort of—I don't know—that for a while they called him CB, and they sort of got rid of the superhero look to him and so forth, and uh, and and they had a more realistic, uh, cr- you know, crime does not pay kind of story yes. in there than they had in Superman or Captain Marvel or Captain America. Yeah, don't... the funny thing is, it's probably more modern in a lot of ways, more modern in its sensibility than a lot of the, uh, comics from that period. More maturely done, but uh doesn't get much respect nowadays,
1: yeah, I don't understand that and i and I agree with you, and I yeah, it seemed like crimebuster became more of a a straight laced Archie in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. you know yeah I, yeah i uh no, I agree with you and and also I he pre-
2: ended up reverting back to his real name of Chuck Chandler and just going to college and having varsity adventures by that time, I knew he was about dead, and pretty <laughs> soon he was gone, you know. <laughs> And I And of course Daredevil had one of the great costumes, the original Daredevil had one of the great costumes of all time, you know.
1: Well and I, I appreciate it in your alter ego stories when you used your hero alter ego, that you brought back uh, the Claw, his uh, his great nemesis and everything, Daredevil's... Uh, yeah, guy.
2: yeah. And, of course, I swiped the costume for Cap for uh, 3D Man at Marvel, or oh, just made it red <laughs> and green instead of red and blue. I didn't... Swiped there. I, I think I even named him Chuck Chandler, you
1: know. You know, I didn't even realize that 3D Man was a swipe from Daredevil. That's fantastic. Again, because the original Daredevil, that, that costume had a great look, and I know... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, um, Oh, and I'm th- Pete Morrissey, obviously, I think, swiped a lot for uh, Thunderbolt. With uh, oh yeah, with yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, he's, yeah. Pete admitted that, that that he based it on uh, on Daredevil and so forth. And I based 3D Man on another. And before that, I had made up a character called Gemini, who was a member of the Zodiac group that grew out of the steranko stuff and i gave him that same costume before but there it was black and white oh
1: i didn't realize that that's never
2: swipe something once if you can swipe it <laughs> twice that's by that's my <laughs> amendment of wally wood's old thing about never draw anything you can trace you know
1: that's fantastic Jeez. um well i you know i i wanted to get back real fast to all-star squadron and just ask that core group of tarantula liberty bell johnny quick why those characters? What what made you like those? Uh, you know, and I Robot Man obviously is another one of those mm-hmm. guys.
2: Well, mostly because they were the ones that had uh, not so much Liberty Bell. I needed a woman in the group, and there weren't that many female you know heroes at time. Yes. But with Robot Man, Johnny Quick, Shining Knight, and his horse, yes. uh, later tra- Translate with the webbing, anyway. Yes. Um, I-, I wanted them in there because they were the characters that had superpowers. You know, I mean, otherwise, a lot of the other DC characters. Outside the Justice Society, as some of them inside uh, were characters that they were just guys in masks, and that's okay. But you know, you have a you you can't. I didn't want a, a league of Batmen. You know, I mean, if you, if you get if you get Green Arrow with his arrows, he's okay. You know, but then you get this guy and that guy. And next thing you know, there'd be a bunch of people, but they wouldn't really have any special powers. And you know, I wanted to, uh, you know. And of course, in the Justice Society, at least you had Hawkman flying, you had Green Lantern and the Flash and Wonder Woman. The Atom got. Super strength, at least after a while, and so forth. But uh, you know, so I, I wanted to use the characters that had the the superpowers. You know, Johnny Quick's speed and uh, you know Robot Man's power and all that.
1: I loved. You. So that was the reason why I used those particular characters. I understand. I loved your bookend origin of the Justice Society and then the last days of the Justice Society. I thought those were incredible stories. And then, uh, really- well, I,
2: I hated doing that because that was. What they wanted at the time was to get rid of them. You know, they said they were never going to use them again. You know, yeah, it
1: was heartbreaking. Believe, but, me, but of course they of lied. This. You know, <laughs> they always use them again.
2: <laughs> I understand, and I knew, and I knew they would use them again. It's not like I ever believed them. It's you know, it's like, you know, it's like Sam Spade said, we believed. We didn't believe you. We believed your two hundred
1: dollars. You know, <laughs> well, you, but you gave them a back door to come back through and everything, putting them in Ragnarok and. You know, leaving yeah. leaving the well, I knew
2: they'd bring him back anyway. Whatever they told me, you know, <laughs> Dick Jardano. I mean, I don't say he was lying, but Dick Jardano told me as long as I'm editor here, they'll never be brought back. Well, maybe they were gone by the time they, uh, maybe he was gone by the time they came back. But you know, it was only a couple of years before they came back again. I I knew that. I mean, I, I by the time I by by that time I knew D, after having been through the crisis stuff and been misled about that, I knew DC and and what it would do and how it would you know go back and and uh, uh, rethink anything it told me and disown it if, if it was convenient to them. I knew them well enough by that time to know that that was going to happen. So I just figured, well, if they let me kill these killers off, I'll kill them off. But I know they'll be back, you know.
1: Well, and I and I appreciated probably the frustration you were going through because I don't know how All-Star Squadron was selling at the time of crisis, but to take away the parallel worlds and the the, the history out from under you and that you had mm-hmm. to obviously respond back with the young All-Stars to kind of come up with, yeah. you know, different heroes that could replace the Trinity. And, you know, what, yeah. you know, so, yeah, yeah tell me, you okay. know, when you say that they misled you about Crisis, what did they, if you don't mind, I'm curious what they told you.
2: No, no, no. I mean, I've said it everywhere else. I mean, you know, I was told, uh, I, you know, it's, the funny thing is I can't remember which of them told me. It, it might have been Dick Jordan, but I don't want to all the blame off at him because he was in conference with, you know, with Jeanette and so forth. Uh, but I, I was told, sort of, that, you know, that they wouldn't even do crisis if I objected because it was going to ruin my characters. And you know, Jesus, I knew that wasn't true. They, if they if they like if they thought of this idea, they're going to do it. <laughs> you sure. know. And I could either I could either uh, say stop steamroller or I can get on the steamroller and ride it somewhere. So I decided to just get on uh, because they were going to do it anywhere. But I tried to steer it by saying, all I really want is at the end of the the thing that there's some like pocket universe, you know, like another. You know where uh, where the they where it exists. And They told me, oh yeah, you can do that. And then later they decided that truth was no longer operative, as they used to say back during the Nixon days. <laughs> and uh, you know, and but they they had told me, oh you know, I'd be able to use uh, Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and those in the in the thing and so forth and. And then I found out, uh, I think from Marv Wolfman, when I it, ran into him in England, not from anybody at DC who would have the decency to tell me uh, that 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 truth was no longer operative. But I and I wouldn't be able to do it. So when I got back, they decided that they needed to kill the book. It was not selling great. We you know, we'd never ad- adequately replaced uh, the art by Buckler and Ardway uh, totally. Uh, but uh, and maybe you know maybe there were other things I did wrong, but. Uh, we were jumping around from artists. It was doing all right. It, would, it, it could have survived easily, uh, but the thing is, at that particular time, it got derailed. And since it wasn't the top seller, they didn't have to worry about, you know, about saving it. It was just simple and they act, tried to make it look as if they were doing me a favor by making it start over with a new number one, which was going to be still called All Star Squadron, like Volume Two, uh, but it was going to have to have a bunch of different characters and downplay, you know, the uh, the JSA characters, and so. Working on this, my wife came up with the idea the name Young All-Stars. I, I don't know if there was ever another group of heroes you know, with the word young in front of it. Now it seems like there are about 57 of them. <laughs> but, it, you know, Young Avengers, Young This, yes. Young That, Young Justice. But I don't know if there was that much before Young All-Stars, but that was her idea for a title. And I figured, well, it made more sense, and I liked it better, because it wasn't really the All-Star Squadron. You know, it was like a, a subset of the All-Star Squadron, you know, yeah. and uh, maybe a little like Jerry Conway when he did the All-Star Squad, you know. Yes, the uh, Super Squad. Yes, yes. Yeah, the Super Squad stuff. And uh, so I, you know, uh, I, I did the best I could, and I had fun with it. And, and I guess the two series together had like a 100-issue run, which isn't bad.
1: I, Like I said, man, I, I read every one. And Iron Monroe, I thought, was a very interesting character that I don't know if you... Was it the intent to have him kind of be a mystery... Sort of Superman character. I know about his origins in I want to say the Gladiator uh, a short story, correct, or a novel. Yes,
2: yeah. Well, he was the son of that yeah of that character. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I and I mean, it just seemed like he had a mysterious background. It seemed while you know you, yeah. while he was in your well, hands and
2: you know I just felt that since I felt that. Uh, gladiator influenced superman i figured that if i'm going to have to replace superman let's replace it with somebody who's the son of the character from gladiator
1: that's simple okay because yeah I, I, yeah. yeah I like how the story progressed in other people's yeah. hands as well i think mark Andreco in yeah. uh, in one of his books i think he continued iron monroe's story as an older man well those
2: are all clones i don't count
1: any of that stuff <laughs> is that true when when other people uh work on your yeah. creations yet like, <laughs>
0: yeah yeah <laughs>
2: it's true my the, the one and only, I mean, not that uh, you know. I have great respect for him, sure. but not, but the the one and only conversation I ever had in my life with uh, Neil Gaiman was when he called me to tell me that he was killing off Fury in uh, Sandman, and and you know, did I mind? And I told him no, no, because it's just a clone. She's really alive, you know. And and the minute I if if I ever came back in, took DC, she'd be back three minutes later. I said, you know, it's all just you know, it's just all words on paper, as you know as well as I do. We've never spoken since Neil and I, so I guess uh, he accepted that. <laughs> I don't know. You
1: know? Now it's an original, and forgive me, because obviously there were fans that came before you as well. But your activity <laughs> in the fan journalism world is well known to us that uh, pay to t- pay attention to stuff like that. I mean, do you ever step back and look at like the the stuff that you know us podcasters are doing and the the websites now that have the news? What do you, What do you think of? Where oh, sure. the fanzines just, have evolved. Yeah, this and,
2: is know. this is like the modern day successors. You know, sure. this, the and everything. They're all the modern day successors to the fanzines we did yeah. with, um, you know, with a, a be- much better technology.
1: Fair enough. That's true. Absolutely. And if I were growing up and
2: knew knew my way around a, a, a computer, you know, maybe if I was younger and maybe I'd you know be doing something like this. But as is, all I can do is put out this little magazine. You know, at <laughs> an occasional. You know, an occasional comic book story or whatever.
1: Do you still have a couple comic stories you want to do?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I'd like, to, I mean, of course, what I'd really like to do is write All Star Squadron again or Conan uh, more than anything. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, and, and, you know, I wouldn't mind making up some new characters or I've got a couple of them. I can't find the time to work on them. So uh, I, I probably should get back to that in a second. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, I keep my hand in. I, I work on the Spider-Man newspaper strip with Stan and have for like the past eighteen years.
1: Yeah, you know, forgive me, and, uh, I, and I, you know, I think I, ha- I might have a couple uh, strips that have Stan's name on yeah. it, but likely were from your your time uh, with. Uh... Well,
2: if it came after, only if it came after about nineteen ninety at two thousand. Okay,
1: then yeah, uh, I do. I bought them from Alex, but
2: uh, you know, I mean, but you know, Stan was rewriting, you know, was editing those okay. and so forth, you know, everything. Uh, sometimes, you know lightly sometimes you know more heavily and uh you know and then once in a while mar you know i do a lot of introductions i just did a what eleven thousand word introduction to a reprinting that the first omnibus conan volume that marvel's going to do.
1: Oh, that's great! It's
2: come out that's at the great. end of the year they asked me for four thousand words so i gave them eleven thousand said i'll cut <laughs> it down if you want and they said no i no, will take it that's <laughs> you know? great oh, I'm <laughs> you'll so pay for the four thousand and take the eleven thousand <laughs> that's fine with me
1: that's well that's i the- said
2: you know it's just you know. No, go
1: on. That, and uh,
2: go but on. It, I'm glad Marvel's got Conan back because uh, Dark Horse is a fine company. But I didn't like the they had recoloring and they put everything out just in paperback. And I wanted to see it collected in hardcovers and so forth. So I'm very happy that Marvel is uh, doing it. And this guy Corey Suttlebier that does the uh, the reprint books is really you know has really got a great plan for reprinting all that stuff.
1: Understood. And no, that what a great run. And I, you know, yeah, good lord. I mean, you and Barry Windsor Smith and yeah. and, and the others that worked with you as well. I mean, yeah. Jesus, man. Especially also- obviously,
2: I'd like to write Conan again. That now that they've got it back, and they claim they're going to do three books about him, I'd love to be able to do one of them. And you know, I've had conversations about uh, about that, but that's up to uh, up to them. My feeling is, you know, I, I mean, I'd like to do it, but my uh, my feeling is basically if i have to if in order to secure my little tiny reputation my little tiny corner in comics history i have to write one more damn comic book that i'm already a failure you know if if, I, if what i've done already isn't enough i'm not going to salvage anything by doing a handful more
1: yeah i, I would think the ten thousand plus stories that you've likely done uh you know I, well, I don't know if it's that many but it's enough I th- well yeah i don't know man because i remember when when we were saying that about stan in the 90s and 2000s and Geez, Roy, I mean, you've been doing it for, you know, 40-plus years or whatever, so yeah, I don't yeah,
2: know. Yeah, not, not so much in you know, the last 10 or 15 years. I haven't been writing many comic books. Fair more alter ego Fair and the strip. And anyway, I'd better get going, yes. I guess, but I guess I'll see you at the uh, Terrificon there in, uh, what is the date of that again? Then, it's, August, uh, August
1: 17th, I believe, and yes, I'm looking forward yeah, to our well, conversations. Yeah, yeah, it'll be my third year there in a row. I had a
2: lot of fun last year, I think. The Iron Fist uh, actors were there.
1: Oh, that's and, great. Uh Did you have a chance? And everything.
2: I've enjoyed enjoyed that convention. Mitch puts on a good show with a lot of guests. Absolutely. I've been going to a couple of comic conventions recently where it seems like the main guests were wrestlers. And, (laughs) well, that's nice. It doesn't have any interest for me. So I'll be glad to see, you know, showbiz and comic book people again, I guess. Oh,
1: no. And Terrific Con is a very pure comic book show. All people have to do yeah. is go to the website to check it out. You've been very. That's
2: one of the things I like. They have a few other guests, but it's a real comic book show, like the the Charlotte Heroes Convention and things like that. Those are the comic conventions I like the best. Me
1: too, man. Listen, you've been generous with yeah. your time. I hope you. Okay, well, thanks. I, 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 yeah, I hope you'll come back. And we can talk more, because your body of work, I knew we couldn't cover it in, in a half hour. and certainly not even in an hour. So I, I hope you had fun, and I hope you'll be willing to come back sometime.
0: Oh, yeah,
2: we'll come back. I'll talk about my Millie the Model Where It'd be time. my
1: pleasure to hear you talk about <laughs> Millie the Model. But thank you for your time, Roy. Oh, thank you. That's Roy Thomas. Don't forget, Roy will be at Terrificon along with me. And uh, lots of uh, great creators. Forget about me. Come see Roy Thomas. Come see Danny O'Neill. Uh, Joe Giella and uh, of course current people like uh, Tim Seeley and my buddy Mike Norton and uh, so many great you know, Christopher Priest is going to be there oh my god what a lineup at Terrificon it's uh, starting on August 17th go to Terrificon and you will find some uh, amazing uh, creators that are going to be there and I, I want to thank John Semino again for uh, helping organize uh, this in- interview with Roy Thomas it's greatly appreciated All right, let's switch gears now and uh, talk with uh, one of the modern creators that is going to be at Terrificon, and that's Ryan Stegman. Man, I'm telling you, I love seeing Stegman's stuff. As I told him uh, on the interview, not only his interiors and his great cover work for Marvel, but when he does a commission too, man, he just outdoes himself. Even uh, this week on Twitter, just yesterday, he posted an incredible Thor piece, and I'm like, I want to see him do Thor. I I love his Spider-Man work. He's currently working on Venom with Donny Cates, it's uh, it's a great book, and I'm really happy to uh, have this opportunity to have a great conversation with Ryan Stegman. Again, Ryan will also be a terrific con as well. So uh, I hope you enjoy this uh, talk with Ryan Stegman, talking Spider-Man, his uh, whole uh, career background, pretty amazing story, and what he's doing these days with Venom. Ryan Stegman now on Word Balloon. Finally, Ryan Stegman, welcome to Word Balloon. And I say finally because I, I blame myself. We've known each other for... About eight years at least, and um, I've I've always meant to have you on, Ryan. Right? I'm sorry that it's finally you know, here. We are finally. <laughs> well, yeah. Thanks for having me. on. Uh, pretty
3: excited, and I don't know how it how it kept falling apart, but you know it was probably
1: my fault. So I'm glad to finally do it. You know that always happens. I'll talk to somebody at a convention, and then I look up, and it's like, yeah, that was 15 months ago, not even a year longer. Yeah, it's like, oh my god.
3: Well, I I, I seem to uh, reach out, and then I just forget. <laughs>
1: All good. All good. Well, I'm very excited about uh, what you got going on, but I I we really should go back because I'd like to uh I've never had the Ryan Stegman origin story. Mhm. So, after after the ship landed from Krypton, what happened?
3: Uh, so you mean like the the comic book origin. So, Yes. Um I was, as a kid I wanted to be an animator. Um I was obsessed with, you know, animation and it well, Disney animation essentially okay um but, but i saw a documentary once where it looked like a real job so then that kind of went out the window and i didn't know <laughs> what i wanted to do with this this sort of you know like i knew i had an ability my sister and i would draw all the time cool um so then when i was about 15 i finally i walked into a comic book store because I, I really didn't have access to comic books for the longest time it was it was kind of you know, just just didn't have a store around. I don't know, you know, you, you, like you just kind of – I had a f- couple comics here and there. but So I wandered into a store when I was 15 and was just like, oh, yeah, that's what I want to do. Cool. Um, and then, you know, I just started putting stuff on – I mean, like, like from that age, I was pretty dogged about it. I had a, a four-year interruption where I was in college where I didn't really um, do anything with it, but I uh, – as soon as I got out, I moved back in with my parents and um, didn't make any money and ma- did samples and got a job doing a Midnight Kiss book for Marcosia, um, parlayed that into uh, Magician Apprentice, which was Dable Brothers, and then Marvel bought the Dable Brothers, and then I had Marvel editors, and I've never worked for anybody si- else since. Wow. That's yeah. really
1: amazing. Who who wrote Midnight Kiss? Uh, Tony Lee. Oh,
3: okay, um, Sure. Yeah, he does a lot of, uh, Mark, well, he was doing a lot of Marcosian
1: stuff at the time, and I think he's done some Doctor Who and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, that's cool, yeah. excellent. And then yeah, mm-hmm. the Dabble Brothers too, and it was Magician's Apprentice, you say? Yeah,
3: it was. So the novel adaptation, um, mm-hmm. they, they were doing a bunch of novel adaptations, and uh, yeah, it was just—I mean, it was totally random that Marvel bought them. I mean, that was pretty surprising. I was like twenty-three years old, and all of a sudden, I was getting, you know. I was I was there, but you know I was bad. I'll be honest, I was not good. Um, but I was I think that it was Mark Panichia was the editor, him and Jordan cool. White. Actually, Jordan White came in at the exact same time as me. Um, and you know I think Mark saw that um, that I probably wasn't there yet, but then he realized I was like you know a young guy and that I was really eager to learn. And I would ask him, please, you know, please if you have any. Uh, you know, criticisms throw them my way, and then he would see, he would give me criticisms, and I would actually incorporate them. Which, you know, like, uh, as a guy, you know, I give criticisms sometimes, and people don't incorporate them, and that drives you nuts. Right. But I think he saw that, and then he would, he was just kind of keeping me afloat and keeping me afloat until uh, he started giving me Marvel Adventures work, then it was Incredible Hercules, then it was. She-Hulk and, you know, just and then, you know, the 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 sad thing is, is that he basically floated me and kept me going, got me up to She-Hulk, and then we haven't worked together since.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. OK. Yeah. I, I,
3: I would I I every time I see him, I'm like, Mark, we got to do something again soon. And, you
1: know, he kind of was talking to me a little bit about doing some X-Men stuff recently, but uh, I ended up doing the Venom thing. Understood. i uh I always liked him as an editor because it always seemed like he got the quirky books you know mm-hmm. they when they br- i mean you know like from agents of atlas with parker to and hardman and others mm-hmm. uh to you know i am like i I can't even remember what umbrella title it was, but I know they brought back like Frankenstein monster and a bunch of the monster heroes and characters from the black and white magazines and stuff mm-hmm. um, yeah so i I always appreciated his Like I said, kind of the the stuff that flew under the radar, the stuff that didn't have to tie into the events.
3: Right, yeah, no, he's great.
1: Yeah, so, but Marvel Adventures, I want to, which, did you do Spider-Man there? Did you, which which, uh, characters did you do for them? That was the YA imprint for a while.
3: Yeah, it was Spider-Man, and... um, And There you go. That was kind of a crazy, (laughs) because my whole goal in life was to draw (laughs) Spider-Man. I remember kind of like even though it was marvel adventure still i was so grateful and excited it was sure it was crazy and you know that stuff the first issue i did of it i would say not very good (laughs) but i i feel like i improved pretty rapidly and the second one was actually pretty all right and um you know once i i got comfortable
1: i felt like it really um started to come together that's cool. And I uh, and we're going to obviously get into more Spider-Man shortly, but mm-hmm. uh, She-Hulk was next? Um, let's see. So, no, Incredible Hercules. Oh, excuse me, Incredible Hercules. Right. So that was, was that uh, Greg Pak and, uh, and Van Lenti doing yep, it? Yep, it sure was, yeah. Excellent. No, that was a really fun series, and I thought, yeah, very well written and very well drawn. I enjoyed that.
3: Yeah, you know, that was great. I, I mean, I, I came in to do, like, three issues at a point. I can't remember which issue numbers, but... Yeah, that was the thing I think that got me on other editors' radars and kind of got me, you know, to the point where, you know, Mark, I talked to him at one point. He was telling me, oh, you're really generating a lot of buzz around the office. Cool. Yeah, and then, you know, that was kind of the beginning of not having to worry so much about where my next job
1: was coming from. That's cool. Did you ever sign an exclusive or were you always just, you know, luckily a guy that they could count on and then would get another assignment?
3: I did uh, so after I did Incredible Hercules. I got these um, Red She-Hulk backup stories that were in Incredible Hulk.
0: <laughs>
1: yes, I remember. Yeah, I, that's Betty. That would be Betty uh, as Betty Ross as uh, the Incredible She-Hulk. And right. That was during uh, Loeb doing, uh, you know, of course, Thunderbolt Ross as the Red Hulk. So, mm-hmm.
3: and uh, I I did that, and then I did a a Sif one shot, and then I asked for a raise. Uh, <laughs> for the first yeah, time boy. in my career. And uh, I was kind of waiting around, and they were like, oh, you know, like they kind of were stalling, and I couldn't figure out why. And then Mark was like, don't worry, it's good, you know, blah, you know, it was, he, we're going to, we're, we're working on it. And then I went to uh, C2E2, I believe. And uh, David Bogart came up to my table and said, um, I think they had been waiting to tell me in person, and they said, hey, we, you know, we, we want you to, we would like you to sign in an Exclusive contract, and I've been under contract ever since. I mean, I, I've signed multiple ones, I'm, I'm working on signing a, another one right now. And uh, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's been like four exclusive contracts since then.
1: That's excellent, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, I, I think you're you've, you've made yourself known you're an incredible Spider Man artist, and I'm glad they keep rewarding you by uh, having you on. Spider-Man books and Spider-Man related books, of course, currently uh, with Donny Cates on Venom. But I want to talk about uh, your work with uh, Jerry Conway, too. Now, there's probably like a big leap between – what came after the She-Hulk uh, backups?
3: That was when I got – well, then I did a uh, she hulks series. There was, so that wasn't was called She-Hulk series.
1: Who, no. Was it uh, – go on.
3: It was Harrison Wilcox. He was um, oh, Jeff sure. Loeb's uh, assistant.
1: And then yeah, he started I know, I
3: know writing for Marvel.
1: Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, yeah, a great guy. Yes, you know who he put me in touch with was, uh, of all people, he's like, hey, Scott Porter from Friday Night Lights. And uh, Oh, yeah. And I forget his uh, show with Rachel Bilson, Heart of Dixie. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, yeah, he goes, hey, he really listens to WordPool and he wants to come on. I'm like, yes, please. Yeah, he he's had a just huge comic the, book uh, yeah, he had, yeah, great guy. Ridiculously mm-hmm. good guy. And I just laugh because he's this big, good-looking dude and everything. I'm like, what the hell are you doing, wasting time listening to me? <laughs> this is before you got married. You know, I'm like, go out yeah. and date people. I'm like, I would not be, I wouldn't be listening to my podcast if I looked like you, man. I'd be out having fun. See, like, I could do both. And I'm like, no, no problem. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he was terrific, man. And yeah, Harrison, Harrison's the guy that put us together. So I think he's working still with uh, Marvel Animation these days.
3: Yeah, he, he's, he's still over there. At the st- I think that the, the reason he had to stop writing for Marvel is because you can't, they don't allow like that kind of crossover anymore. Sure, um, but uh, yeah, he he's doing great. I think I talk to him on Twitter sometimes, and we kind of stay in yeah. touch here and there.
1: Very cool. So so then after after the She Hulk thing, then what happened?
3: Then I um, I got a I did some X twenty three. Right now. Man, I, I can't believe how lo- like the, my memory—I ca- can't even handle it.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sorry, buddy. I know I, I should have the comic book database up here and then having all your credits and stuff. But no, yeah, I was interested before you get to, uh, and I know it's a lot of work, obviously. But eventually, I want to start talking about uh, you and Jerry Conway working together, right? Uh, which is only a couple years ago, but I loved. I love that series, and oh, I know now it's in it's. Oh yeah, and it's an excellent. hands. again, another reason why I've been meaning to talk to you, and also have Jerry back to talk about it as well, because yeah, Jerry's awesome. You know, yeah, classic Spider-Man writer. He blew my nine-year-old mind mm-hmm. in Marvel Tales. I'm not that old that I read the original Death of Gwen Stacy, but I did read the first reprint of it in Marvel Tales, and my head exploded in the best mm-hmm. possible way of like wow they can die <laughs> obviously oh, yeah. never died you know it was like holy shit and uh and no what a what a great person to then you know be the the caretaker R- remind me was it um the whole idea of secret wars and that's what birthed this series is that correct yeah they they did a um
3: they did all the alternate universe type stuff yeah. because it, there was all these different universes and they this was a universe it, there was a, a mini series that Slot wrote. Um, Wait, right, right. Adam Kubert was it Adam or Andy? Oh, I can never. It was get one, definitely one of the Kuberts. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, a very good series. And uh, yes, they then that was so wildly popular that they said let's let's make a full series out of it. And so it's you know it's it's Elseworlds, but um, you know it's it, it, it's not in continuity. But you know they were it was the the idea behind it was there's so many people that love the. Spider marriage between Mary Jane and Peter that um, they wanted to, uh, you know, they said here, you know, if you guys like it so much, here it is, and
1: uh, yeah, continue uh, the story. Why not? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, no, and it, it yeah, and it, and it just like Spider Girl years before with Defalco and Ron Friends. No, it opens up this whole new world. It's another reason why I loved back when I was younger uh, in Superman Family. They had Mr. and Mrs. Superman, and it was Earth 2 Superman. And Paul Kupperberg drew it, one of the classic Lois Lane artists and stuff. And it's just like, yeah, go. Or even um, more recently, J.T. Kroll, uh, they had an adjacent Batman Beyond book that continued the Batman Beyond universe with other heroes. And uh, J.T. was writing Superman Beyond. And it was, you know, senior citizen Superman who had abandoned his Clark Kent identity coming back. And it's like okay, he's back on Earth and wants to be more with the people, so he's going to have a new secret identity, and he was a volunteer fireman, and his name was Cal and everything, and it was it was great. It's like, oh, this is great. And, and with by the same token, these, these stories of uh, not only Spider-Man and Mary Jane, but again, their daughter as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I always like the
3: uh, out-of-continuity stuff because yeah. you don't get affected by the other stuff, and you can just do
1: pretty much whatever you want in that's what the that's pretty much what we did that's excellent and, and mary jane did she have powers or did peter just give her equipment to be able to swing along with the family and everything um I was, I was, he, you know
3: she yeah he gave her powers uh he, she <laughs> siphoned off of him essentially so he was less a less okay. powered peter parker but you know uh they both kind of had half of what he have his full power set
1: so okay all right Well, as we know, he's he surprisingly is one of the stronger uh, heroes of the Spider Verse, and I always loved. I liked when Slot was doing uh, Superior Spider-Man, and Doc Ock didn't realize how strong Peter really was until he broke shattered uh, the I believe Scorpion's jaw, and he's like, Mm -hmm. "Oh my God, he's been he was holding back all these years." (laughs) Yep, (laughs) pretty cool. Or my favorite too in Civil War when he goes to the cell block and uh, beats the hell out of the Kingpin. And it's no contest. And it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, he's really, really angry. And it's like, let's go. So who uh, who do you enjoy drawing in the Spider Verse beyond the the family? Well, I mean i
3: I love all of the Spider Man. Like, I did a bunch of the Superior Spider Man run, and uh, uh, like, I forgot it, about that. Shame on me. Please go on. Yeah, the his Rogues Gallery is the best, you know. So, um, I got to draw. I had I got to draw some Green Goblin, which was. Incredible and uh, mm-hmm. the vulture. Um, uh, I it, weirdly, you know, what's weird is, um, I had never drawn Venom in any of the Spider Man books I did, and then all of a sudden, it the last few issues of Renew Your Vows I did yes. were Venom series, Venom stories. Then I did Venom Inc., and now I'm doing Venom <laughs> It was like,
1: yeah, all of a sudden, yeah. it's just like uh, a deluge of. Venom, but, um, (laughs) I, you were one of, you were one of slots, uh, go to guys in the last couple of years, weren't you on Mm Spider-Man? Yeah, no, a lot of arcs, a lot of arcs.
3: Yeah. I would have liked to have, um, I was going to contribute to that 800 issue, but the Venom kind of ate up my schedule. Sure. Uh, but yeah, no, I, you know, Spider-Man is my favorite character and Dan was, Dan's an amazing writer. So I was just always, you know, anytime they wanted to put me in uh in that world i was i was all for it that's cool what was it like collaborating with slot what kind of writer is he he's super collaborative he's very
1: uh you know how you have had have you've you've had him on here right oh many times just uh when we just did talk uh, after 801 came out mm-hmm. we did the exit interview with, okay uh, and everything yeah, he's, yeah, he, he's a word building regular. Go
3: on. He's very uh he kind of reminds me of like a Stan Lee type. Like he's very excited <laughs> and he'll he'll yes. when he explains to you the stories before you draw them. It's like the most exciting thing in the world cuz he's such a good like he, he it's not just he's not just a good writer, he also, you know, is a good speaker and so uh yeah, he would call and we would he would tell me what's going to happen and he would be telling me like 10 years down the line what he's going to be doing and, you know, all these, he, he, he just had so much stuff going on in his head. It was, it was nuts.
1: How many years did you spend with him writing Spider-Man books?
3: Um, let's see. I did, I think I just did about one year on superior and then I, okay. I came back recently to do the, uh, the Venom Inc. story. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I worked. Oh, and I did, uh, that was so, After I did um, She-Hulks, I got an issue of Amazing Spider-Man. And that was issue 667, I believe. Um, Okay. And that was kind of the thing that put me on Steve Wacker's radar and Dan's radar, where they were like, oh, we want to give him more Spider-Man work. Um, And so I I had that first experience with him. Dan tells a story where he asked Steve if, if he could keep me. (laughs) <laughs> uh, then I went and did Scarlet Spider, and then Fantastic Four, and then I came back, and that's when we did Superior Spider-Man together.
1: Okay, let's talk about Scar- Scarlet Spider for a second. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's uh, Ben Riley, right?
3: No, this was uh, Kane.
1: Oh, excuse me, Kane. So did you work with um, the Mad TV writer whose name is escaping me right now? No, I worked with, with uh, Chris Yost. Oh, sure, even better. You know, no, again, no offense to the. Uh, Patrick and I'm forgetting Patrick's name who used to write for Mad TV that mm-hmm. did some st- Scarlet Spider as well but yeah Chris Yost he's fantastic I love those guys yeah I and, love uh, Chris I, and Craig Kyle man they, yeah. no, they're terrific writers
3: I think that Chris is uh, extremely underrated and I think that he probably would be a bigger comics writer if he uh, you know he's he's off writing Thor movies and stuff so
1: yeah, yeah exactly uh, first animation and then uh, live action uh, Marvel as well no he's yeah, he's doing he's doing fine. I yeah, but I, mean. I always want more comics out of him. But I I get it. Sure, he's doing
3: great in the other world.
1: Yeah, I gotta find. You know, we we've got a bunch of like you know loose connections. I have to make that happen and try and get Chris on Craig Kyle too. Uh-huh. Again, I mean, you know, I I'm not an X Men guy, uh-huh. so I you know I I just I mean, I, and I uh, the few Kyle and Yost X Men stories I read, I was like, oh my god, these are really good. And then, mm-hmm. of course, like you know, they did. They went, <laughs> They graduated to animation, and now are you know. And I, I don't know if Craig's still doing it, but yeah, Chris. Chris is very busy as a screenwriter. That's excellent. Mm-hmm. So, did you like, uh, you know, draw, do you like drawing this the Scarlet Spider design? How how is it like doing that, and even Venom, uh, as we get into Venom and stuff? You know, the derivative spider characters like this.
3: Well, that you know, that's a testament to the late great Steve Ditko is that you can tweak his um, his design spider-man's design which i think is the best in comic book history uh you can tweak it. it because it's so strong you can change it in so many ways and it's still really cool so uh it's always a blast to draw any of those characters like i i got to design the scarlet spider um costume for the for the new series the one with kane and uh you know we just kind of riffed off of what um Ditko had come up with and, uh, well, I guess Kirby was probably involved in that design, too, a little bit, but either way, uh, I mean, it was just I, when I was drawing Scarlet Spider, I felt pretty much like I was drawing Spider-Man, and then when you're drawing Venom, you're doing it's a little different, but it's uh, there's still a lot of similarities.
1: Sure. What do you, let's, uh, let's get into Venom talk, because, um, I I'll be honest. I liked Venom when he first showed up, and I loved that Eddie Brock was this kind of bigger, physically more menacing thing. And I thought great villain. And I will confess, I'm not that crazy about him as, and I don't even know if he's a hero or an antihero or exactly what. But it's like, oh man, you got a good bad guy. Don't you know? Mm-hmm. Keep keep him a bad guy. You know? Don't 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 make him. Uh, you know? I'm going to be curious when we see the movie and everything, and I'm sure you are as well. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I, I don't know. So, what, you know, tell tell me about Venom from your from your point of view.
3: Well, uh, to a degree, I I agree with you. I think, I think that he's kind of you know teetering. I think that he is, um, you know, mostly bad. Honestly, uh, he does makes bad decisions and does bad things. So he's he's technically a villain, and and, and also I feel like he it's. He, him, and Spider Man are like oil and water. So when when they get tangled up, there's always you know, Venom, Venom is, is a perfect villain for him. But like sure. in our in our book, I feel like um the way that see, Donnie is Donnie Cates is the like the biggest Venom fan on the planet. That's awesome. Uh-huh.
1: Well, that's what you want. You want the biggest Venom
3: fan. Yeah, he's writing Venom. Go on. He's like three or four years younger than me, and you know we both grew up with Venom. So sure. Um, you know, venom to us isn't I think that he kind of can be sort of a joke sometimes in comics, and to us he's he's deadly serious, you know we we were reading the same stuff growing up, so um the way that Donnie writes him, which is how I think it should be handled, is you, you don't know if he's a he, he's not even you're, you're not even sure if he's a hero in this story, you know he's just kind of uh fighting for his life essentially.
1: Yeah, I started, I started reading uh, the story, and as I understand it, is there a, an uh, alien or some sort of weird influence that's corrupting the symbiote? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, is, is Flash in the story as well? I know Peter and, and Eddie are in the story. No, Fl-
3: Flash is not in the story
1: right now. Um, okay.
3: Uh, it's really just, I mean, basically we've just had Eddie and a bunch of characters that nobody, well, we had Miles Morales too, but. For the yes, part, that's
1: right. And sh- yes, go on.
3: It's been new characters that we're creating. We're expanding his world um, so that he has, you know, a whole bunch of new uh, characters to interact with, and that's kind of that. I mean, that's the most exciting part for me. Is I feel like we're kind of making new stuff, new toys for that world.
1: Cool. That's excellent. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, uh, yeah, I. Uh, is so? Is Eddie still with the Bugle, or has he got a new job? Where's where is he? As, as far as his civilian identity, where's he at right now? Um,
3: right now, he's uh, he's been. Uh, now I can't. I we, we touched on it. He I think he's been fired. Oh no, he, okay. he was taking photos in the first issue. That's right. Uh, so okay. yeah, he's still working for them. But that that hasn't really come in. I mean, he's been on the run since issue one. You know, we're we're going through issue six here, and uh, this this is a really sort of epic storyline with gods and, you know, all kinds of stuff in it. So um, we haven't really gotten into his personal life very much yet. We showed him in the first issue that he he was down and out. You know, he's in a dingy apartment kind of trying to make ends meet. But um, that's as far as we've gotten
1: with that. Okay. All right. That's cool. Now uh, tell me about writing or uh, drawing with Donnie. What's that like?
3: It's, it's actually – I was thinking that when I was talking about – dan it's it's very similar where so um when i was um when i finished um renew your vows uh i wasn't sure what i was going to do or i mean when i finished Veneme, uh mm-hmm. i wasn't sure what i was going to do next and um so i was really keeping my options open uh doing like um you know i, I i've never really turned down jobs before i've I've taken everything that marvel's ever offered
1: Okay. You're doing and a lot this of things like,
3: too. Yeah. I guess I felt a little bit burnt at that point for the first time. And so I was just like, well, I'm just going to wait until something really excites me. And, um, you know, a few things came along. And then uh, finally, the this project with Donnie came along. And, and I knew Donnie. I've met Donnie before. And I, he's, he's very uh, energetic and an exciting young guy and everything. And, I had read some of his stuff and I really liked it. And uh, so they offered it to me and then I was like, let me think about it. And then uh, uh, I went and read some redneck and then Donnie called me and then it was, you know, like I said, exactly like when you talk to Dan where there's just this crazy excitement and then he's telling me what's going to happen in his, you know, 50 issue plan for Venom. (laughs) And uh, he's telling me all, all these crazy things. He says, you know, if you've read the book, there's a symbiote dragon. Uh, all this stuff, and I'm just like, okay, yep, I, I found it. This is what I'm going to do. You know, like, this is really awesome. And so, uh, that's that's kind of the way that I, I feel about it now. Is that um, I, I think that uh, I think that it's like one of my favorite projects that I've worked on. And I'm, you know, like I said, I'm almost through-ish. I'm going to be going into issue six here shortly and uh, I feel just as like invigorated as day one because Donnie and I talk all the time and we hash out plans together and we work on it, you know, like I'll send him designs and we talk these things through and uh, it's been very, it's been so collaborative and so much fun, you know, he's not, he's someday he'll be jaded and he won't want to talk to the artists anymore, but <laughs> <laughs> for now he's,
1: you know, we're, we're having like the, the time of our lives. That's awesome, man. And I know he is really one of the bright stars right now in Marvel. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, the there's a regime change now and CB's in charge. Have you had a chance to uh, be with him? I know you guys are going to be with me at Terrificon next month at Mohegan yeah. Sun, but have you, have you had a chance to talk to CB in his new capacity?
3: Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we did Conkey in Mexico and it was like um, there were, you know, was Umberto's involved with that show and... Um, it, like so me and Scotty uh, went out there and Scotty and I really oh, close great. and that's cool yeah. CB and Scotty are very close so me and Scotty and CB and Ricky Purden uh hung out a lot and yeah you know, it it was really nice cuz you know CB's a great guy he, yes. it's really cool to see him get this opportunity
1: I agree man and no and I and I really right guy for the right job and mm-hmm. you know an upbeat guy and I think um We've already seen, I think, uh, the changes start to happen and stuff. I mean, God, you know, Al Ewing and, and company, they're killing it on that Hulk book right now. Uh-huh. And, you know, I think uh, a lot of the I'm really excited for slots Fantastic Four that's coming up His Iron uh-huh. Man is great. And yeah, you know, you, you can you can feel the vibe that uh, I think um, this this generation of Marvel, I think, is going to, you know, and already has started to make some really great stories
3: yeah he uh, uh one of the things that he did that I really appreciate was um, when he came on, he was talking to me about my next project and he said, uh, well, you know honestly, he said, I don't think that you should ink yourself uh, you know, and I was kind of like offended, <laughs> you know <laughs> and I was like <laughs> you know i i uh, I, I kind of processed it and then I was like, you know. I do feel like maybe I, maybe I should try this. I should try just penciling, and I uh, get somebody else in here to ink me. And he's like, "We'll get you somebody really good, you know, all that stuff." And so, he, what he was saying was that my work was inconsistent sometimes because um, I would ink inconsistently. I would change up styles. I'd get bored with one thing, and you know, kind of creative ADHD or whatever. And, Interesting. Uh, and he's right. I mean, now that I have distance from it and I went along with what he said, um, I can look through these things where it's like I'm just doing – like from one issue to the next, I'm doing washes one issue and then I'm not doing the next issue. And I don't know why I do that or why I'm that way. Uh, but the, the Venom stuff has been extremely consistent and um, you know, it's kind of a credit to him and, and I, was, I was happy – uh, to be told the truth that you know that people up there were kind of wondering what was going on with the style of shifting and that they were you know it kind of made people trepidatious to you know they were just kind of wondering which version of me they were going to get if they put wow. me on a book okay and uh, wow. yeah so you find that stuff out and, but a lot of times they don't want to tell you that stuff so I was right, I mean sure. it was, honestly <laughs> it was so welcome that that I was told that and that it, 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 they were right, you know. So, uh, so, yeah. so who's
1: inking you? Who's inking you now on, on Venom? Uh,
3: JP Mayer, who I, uh, I, you know, credit there to Ricky Purden. Um, i had never heard of JP and I was looking for somebody in the style of like a Glapian
1: or a Danny Manning. That's so or- funny. That's that's exactly what I saw in your art and wondered if Jonathan's name, and obviously, Jonathan's very busy with uh, Batman stuff right. and everything, but yeah, so go on, that's very, that's crazy, go on. Yeah,
3: so we, you know, we of course reached out to these guys, and they are DC exclusive or whatever, so we were racking our brains, and then Ricky said, hey, I've got, we, this guy J.P. Mayer, he's done stuff for us, but he, um, he he, sent me some samples that are, that are they seem to be more like in the vein of, uh, you know, Glapian or uh, Danny Mickey. Uh, do you want to take a look at them? So I took a look and I said, OK, well, they look cool, but you never know how it's going to work out. So I said, let's have him try out on a couple pages. And then he turned in one page and I was like, oh, yeah, that's he's <laughs> this is exactly right. And they must have told him, you know, go that route. And then, you know, JP and I've talked since he's Brazilian. So there's a bit of a language barrier. But, you know, he um, his favorite inkers and favorite artists line up pretty much exactly uh, with my tastes. And so we've, I mean, honestly, there's been like no growing pains. He just was doing, uh, you know, pretty much a perfect job from day one.
1: That's fantastic. Do you think you'll then continue to collaborate with him on whatever's after uh, venom?
3: Oh yeah. The, no, the, my, my plan is to, I, I want to like, uh, put him in a cage and not let anybody else uh, work <laughs> with him.
1: <laughs> uh, be part of those, you know, penciler and inking, uh, you know, classic teams like—and uh, now I'm blanking, of course. Uh, yeah, like God Williams it, and Lee, uh, and well, yeah, certainly, and and uh, you know, uh Senate and Kirby, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was thinking the great Spider-Man uh, once, and it's always that Spider-Man team that never—Mike Esposito and um, oh God, I can't think. I, maybe this is too too early for you to know who I'm talking about, but um, I want to You know, anyway. <laughs> yeah, it'll come to me. But that, yeah, that's you know, or but, Hester yeah, and certainly look, Hester and Parks, you know.
3: Yeah, it's nice when you Andy. find somebody that you can collaborate with in that way. Like there, the, the, yeah. there was a, a t- when I started, I was I was over laboring the pages so much, and now I'm getting to a place with J.P. where um, I can, uh, you know, I I know what he's going to do with a certain thing, so I don't have to like labor over these tiny little details anymore because I know that he'll
1: handle it. That's excellent. Yeah, I was going to ask how loose how loose are your pencils compared to not loose. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I understand. And, and again, because you're used to finishing yourself, so sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's so, good. I mean, I would oh, say, your but, styles, but he's a, you know, yeah, he, he's he's very
3: additive. So he even when I I go to the hilt with my uh, tight pencils, he's still going to add uh, a lot to it. You know, he's going to add that's some great. of his own flourishes that I always appreciate.
1: That's outstanding, man. That's very, very mm-hmm. cool. I, want, I, you know, I, I glossed over Jerry Conway. I wanted to ask, what was it like working with him? Because, you know, obviously he goes back to the, you know, Bronze Age, and mm-hmm. uh, I wondered, I want, you know, another guy too that has certainly spent a lot of time doing uh, television writing as well. Mm-hmm. Diagnosis yeah. Murder and Murder She Wrote, of course. Uh, I want to say yeah. I forget which other uh, uh, cop shows that he's worked on in the past as well. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, no, he was he was awesome. He was.
1: Uh, we talked a couple times
3: and we would talk via email and he was i mean he i was you know you you don't know like like he had kind of gone away from comics for a while so you don't know if he still got it right or if you know if it's going to work and then so when they offered me this book i went and read his carnage uh series Mm -hmm. and that was great and that was a totally different book than renew your vows but i was like oh yeah they're like he's absolutely still got it so um and he just has the voice down so so well that uh, um, it was. I mean, he his scripts
1: were awesome. You know, that's cool. Can't stylistically, I, yeah. Go ahead. No, you're saying you can't complain, but uh, like, he, yeah, stylistically, was he was was his style of writing a, 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 a comic script different? And are they all different? I should ask that. Really,
3: They're not very different. Slots a little different. Where sometimes, a lot of times, you'll get a script. That is, it's broken down panel by panel, but it's, uh, there's no dialogue. There's just like suggestions of what they're going to be saying in the panel. Um, but for the most part, I would say most everybody's been pretty similar. But uh, Jerry's were, yeah, Jerry's were very modern, very, uh, uh, yeah, exactly what I was used to. We At one point, we did, um, I did write some of Your vows. And uh, he cool. I also worked Marvel style with him on a couple issues where
1: I was wondering um, if that, you know. Yeah. OK, go on.
3: I worked Marvel. style, And then actually one of the issues I worked from his outline and I scripted it. So, you know, we kind of collaborated in that way. It was neat.
1: That's really cool. That's excellent. man. Mm-hmm. No, And I I mean, I, you know, I went back when his one of his first comeback things was uh, the last days of Animal Man for D.C., Mm-hmm. And that was, like, about a year or so into uh, me doing the podcast and stuff, and I had him on then. And I've had him on once or twice since. And, no, he's always great, really interesting guy, and I think just a wonderful writer. And as you say, no, he's got the Spider-versus, you know, uh, voices in his head. No, he know, he he certainly knows how to write Spider-Man. I believe he might have written the the comic strip for a while as well. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but I think so. I think he's just an all-time great, and he's, you
3: know... Still oh, got it. Still doing
1: it, yeah. No, that's fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm. really glad he came back to comics and is being as well-received as he is, and I look forward to whatever his next project right. is. Is Venom... Mm-hmm. Is it going to be a finite series, or is the hope that it's going to be ongoing, or is the, the intent that it's ongoing? What's going on with it?
3: Oh, the intent is absolutely... Yeah, it's going to be ongoing. I mean, it's selling okay. crazy, so we should be Go able ahead. to keep it going for a, a long time. Um, I would like to do it... You know, I don't have... I feel like I did some superior Spider Man, but we were kind of rotating artists and if I'm honest, you know, um Umberto is the guy, you know. It was kind of like we we're he he's the um you know, he's a all time Spider Man artist now. Oh, so absolutely. Um, Umberto um, Ramos
1: is amazing, absolutely.
3: So I I think that um I wanna have something that I can put my stamp on and I'm 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 feeling so good about this series now and I'm I'm hoping that this is a thing that I really, you know, can do for a long time and have it really mean something.
1: That's excellent, man. Very, very cool. So, your boys are seven and four. Are they, are they uh-huh. like thrilled that you're drawing Spider Man? I mean, are they, are they into it or is it, oh, that's just what dad does? I'll be busy doing something else.
3: They're a little into I think that, that so my seven year old, his friends have, you know, they're not, uh, they're not jaded by it. Uh, so they, <laughs> they will come in and when they look at my stuff and they'll go, wow, that's cool. And then, you know, all of a sudden he puffs his chest out and really gets, you know, sort of like, uh, (laughs) and they both say they want to be artists when they get older and all that stuff. So, um, I think they're, yeah, they're pretty into it, but there's also a little aspect of they're, they're not that interested in what dad does, you know, like it's work or whatever. Um, but they, uh, yeah, it's it's funny watching them kind of um, grow up and start to grasp it more.
1: <laughs> are they um, are they watching the cartoons? Are they do they like the Marvel movies? Are they you know are they drinking the Kool Aid or you know is that part of their fun? Oh yeah, yeah, they love it. they love all
3: the the cartoons and the and the movies. I take them to see. I didn't take them to see uh, the newest uh, uh, Infinity War because. Um, I felt like dead. they'd be devastated. Sure. Oh, sure. <laughs> but, yeah, especially watch Spider-Man crumble to dust. My God. Well, I said, uh, I told, I, my wife kept saying, I think Oliver will be fine with it. And I said, I promise you he will not. Because he cries, you know, he cried in Black Panther when he thought Black Panther was dead. Wow, okay, sure. <laughs> and so I said, I said, um, I said, okay, we can ask him. You know, you got to be subtle about it so you don't tell him what happens. And so she said... Oliver, would you be upset if we went to see a movie, a Marvel movie, where a bunch of the characters die? And he looked up and he said, "I hope Spider-Man doesn't die." <laughs> and I was like, oh, I looked at her, I was like, see? we are not going to that movie."
1: <laughs> well, when they both come out, you could show them both in a row. Don't, don't worry. Let me put the next disc in. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, exactly. Be streaming, of course. That's that's great, man! Oh my god! Well, again, you know, you don't know how that stuff is going to hit you. I, I completely uh-huh. understand. Like I said, my nine year old self with Gwen Stacy in the pages, it's just uh-huh. like I'm like, oh my god! And it was it was shocking. It was exciting, you know. Yeah, there's so you know, but I but yeah, no, it's even worse if the if the heroes die. You see, I grew up with the imaginary stories. They were all being uh-huh. reprinted. I think when I was a kid, so they didn't upset. You know, uh-huh. I, I watched Superman die. I watched Luther like you know cheer. When he killed Superman. Mm-hmm. Stuff like right. that. Too funny. Were you a what if kid?
3: Did you enjoy what if? Uh, uh you know, here in the, I I didn't get like I said, I, I didn't have very much access to comics. What what happened True. was I, I got when I got into them, my dad then pulled out um, a box. He was like, Oh yeah, I used to be really into that and he pulled out like tons of boxes of comics from the attic that he could have given me at any
1: time in my life. <laughs> that's great oh yeah but that's so fantastic so were they yeah. 60s comics or were they 70s comics which uh some 60s yeah
3: I mean he would have been yeah they are probably mostly 60s and I had like he had like Amazing Spider-Man number 19 is the wow. most valuable one but this, the cover was you know sure. falling off
1: <laughs> well he, he loved his uh, comics he liked most of us he read the hell out of them absolutely man
3: yeah but that's there's amazing. there's a ton of ton of crazy stuff in there but yeah I would read the what ifs and the the uh, I remember he had a lot of Green Lantern and he uh, his favorite was
1: Spider Man also. So, oh, that's great. I was wondering mm-hmm. if as you've become more familiar with the Marvel Universe, are there any C or D level characters that you eventually would like to, you know, play with even more? Or you know, I I don't even know which ones beyond the ones that we've discussed so far that you've had a chance to play with. Um, may you know I'd have Damian to. Think about Hellstrom that. or somebody like that. You know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know
3: off the top of my head I can't I mean like I, like my I still want to do more with Wolverine someday and I still want to do I want to do something significant with Thor but uh, hey, I haven't thought much about C and D list I'd have okay. to really rack my brain for
1: that I understand man your commissions and I I will call them sick and I mean that in the best possible way they're mm-hmm. so good man and it's really a pleasure when you do post them on Instagram and Twitter yeah thanks absolutely man Jesus uh, you know so I'm sure we're we're if we haven't already mentioned it, we're all going to be at uh, Terrificon uh, next month mm-hmm. in Sun uh, in in C- Connecticut. About a month mm-hmm. away now. Um, you and I are uh, you know we're both not at San Diego, of course, as we're recording this. Um, yeah. Did you go last year? No, I haven't been to San Diego. You know, it's funny. I went for a bunch
3: of years in a row before I had like a career, and then once <laughs> I had a career, I was like, I
1: can't, I can't be doing that anymore it's a time suck it's a big time suck I kind of prefer you guys especially I uh, yeah I, I go, you know I, so no I get it and yeah I kind of felt like I, I'd done the last nine years I'm like I can take a year off it's alright
3: I tried this morning I was like I texted my editor and I said I, I said I swear to you if you will push the deadline back one week on this issue
1: I will show up at San Diego tomorrow
3: <laughs>
1: and he said I can't
3: do that <laughs>
1: I totally understand. Well, you will be busy, I'm sure, at your uh, at your table at uh, Terrificon, and that's why I bring up your commissions there. Mm-hmm. They really are. They're so they're so great. Thank um, you. Absolutely, man. Do you do you put out a request list prior to a show and everything? And
3: uh, I don't do the prior anymore because uh, it was kind of I felt like everybody would just get there and be mad at me because they didn't make the cut or. Whatever. Um, yeah. So I try to. I don't know. I might start doing I'm going to try to find the most fair way to do it. And, and I also um, don't necessarily want to work super hard <laughs> at a show. I understand. Cause, no, I understand. Um, you know, that's what I do. I, I work so much at home that I'm just like, when I go to a convention, I'd like to be able to spend a little. You know, I want to I sign for people and talk to people. I don't want to have my head down and have them sure. just like looking at the top of my head while I'm trying to get through commissions. So, you know, I'll, it's it's usually pretty limited, but I try to do like um, the five minute sketches. and stuff
1: I was going like to ask you so if you've got like a if you get yeah if you've if you've broken down a style to do like a quick sketch or whatever. Yeah,
3: the, there's all kinds. I have all kinds of tiers because I would prefer just people to get something, and you know, I'll even do free, sharpie head sketches and all that stuff just because. I don't know. I I want to interact like. I like people. I like talking to people. Uh, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to have to like leave my table and go to my room and work. Sure. Um, because I feel like that's kind of not the point of being there. So I'm trying oh, to figure out the best way to, to handle this stuff.
1: Are you going to gamble? I, I can't just, dis- I, I don't know how much time I'm going to spend in the, in the actual uh, casino or whatever. I, I, I am intrigued. I well, know, like, I've, I covered boxing for a long time, and Mohegan Sun is a boxing destination. A lot of big fights happen there. I never I never covered a fight there, so I am intrigued to to see the place.
3: Period. I will be the, gambling you know. my butt off. Uh, Charles <laughs> Soul's going. We've, yeah, I know. <laughs> we spent a lot of time. We've spent. We've probably spent, I don't know, fifteen hours at blackjack tables together now. So that's uh, we've already been we've already been conspiring to to get to the blackjack tables my wife uh will handle my show uh schedule a lot like she kind okay. of helps me out with that stuff and you know she's always very much like um you know you, you, you can't take any more shows you, you six is enough for this year you know that type of thing and we got this email and i forwarded it to her thinking she's just going to kind of write it off and then um she called me and she's like or she, te- or she came down and talked to me and she was like, uh, Mohegan Sun is like one of the best casinos in the country. <laughs> and I was like, oh, OK. And she's like, yeah, so we're definitely doing that one because <laughs> she that's loves great. to gamble also. So
1: that's fantastic. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's
3: fantastic. You know, you can Excellent. you can
1: invite her to Paris
3: and she's kind of like, eh, but then you invite her to a nice <laughs> casino and she's all about it.
1: Have you guys done a lot of like Las Vegas uh, comic shows or whatever? Yeah,
3: we, we, uh, we, there was a while there where we were going, uh, at least once a year. I think we're going to try to get back to that. But, you know, the kids are kind of at sure. an age where it makes it a little difficult. But yeah, we, <laughs> we love going to Vegas.
1: What's your favorite, uh, you see now, and again, because I'm spending 16 years covering boxing, I, I've spent a lot of time in Vegas. What are uh-huh. your, what's your favorite, uh, casinos? Or well, hotels? we,
3: uh, we love the aria was really nice. We stayed there fairly recently we stayed at um okay yeah it's kind of a newer one um okay let's see
1: we stayed at the bellagio sure um, beautiful i always feel like james bond when i'm in the bellagio go on yeah that whole area is so so it's interesting gorgeous. oh my god yeah. they got the they got an, they have a legitimate <laughs> art gallery in the, in the bellagio it's fantastic. yeah you kind of that's
3: the weird thing about vegas is you kind of end up in these places and you're like well, i didn't know that this like we were we went one year to a convention the amazing comic-con um las vegas and uh we were at this like off uh the strip you know it was like it was not in the main area of vegas it was Mm -hmm. i don't i forget what uh so i forget what it's called but we're at this hotel it's kind of random it's still a casino so you know we're gonna gamble like crazy but then we're like i want to go to a steakhouse let's look up the steakhouses in vegas well in that hotel this sort of rinky dink casino it was like one of the best steakhouses in the united states there you go yeah and you just kind of find these random things and it was it was an amazing
1: restaurant it was awesome that's excellent no you know rich melman is a big (laughs) chicago restaurateur and has continued to evolve as the foodie scene has evolved. I mean, he, but he goes back to the 70s, and even his father before him was a big 50s and 60s restaurateur. And they, um, they had the uh, restaurants when the Paris was brand new. Uh-huh. And it, and it was fantastic. And yeah, I mean, and again, because of our Chicago connection, you know, we, we got a nice, uh, you know, deal, and he, he was a, he was a good guy to us and everything. But uh, no, you're right, man. And, and it is fun. Or you, you know, you discover that uh, underground um, kind of Italian walkway that's under Caesars with the, yeah. with the fake sky that you know within 2 hours or whatever you go from sunrise to sunset and it's you know the it's beautiful i mean no it's it's funny all those little uh, areas that you know beyond the gambling and the entertainment yeah. and stuff that yeah there's a lot of fun things to do in vegas like
3: yeah my that, wife my wife has my wife is going to vegas with her family forever like i was never a gambler i was always sort <laughs> of not into it and
1: she forced it on me and now i'm now i'm a degenerate that's awesome. So you're a blackjack guy. See, I'm an OTB guy, for two reasons. Yeah. One, I love and it's and it's a shame because I do know there's an element of cruelty involved. I love horse. I love thoroughbred horse racing. I think it's oh yeah. it's mm-hmm. so beautiful to watch, and uh, mm-hmm. so I can lose myself doing that. But also, I love going to the sports book and just mm-hmm. betting on a game, and just sitting and you know, waitress refreshing your drink every you know few minutes, and you're into a basketball game or a baseball game or whatever. And it's just like, all right, fine. You know, I'm gambling with 50 bucks for the next 3 hours. It's kind of fun. Yeah, it was, That's okay.
3: A few years ago, I was at the I was in Vegas for
1: baseball's opening day,
3: and it, I was okay. in heaven. I just yeah. sat there and watched like 15 games at the same
1: time, you know. <laughs> I do. We would uh, my sports radio station, we we would go down the first weekend of uh, the NCAA basketball tournament. Oh, that's the same thing. Oh, And it's, yeah, there's nothing better because you got a bunch of, uh, you know, alumni that are down there as well from each school and they're cheering and everything. It's, it's fun. And I just, I mean, now it's funny because I think uh, the, the availability of satellite uh, television in your home and all the various packages, you kind of get jaded. But then again, I mean you're just surrounded by all these giant monitors and nice plushy chairs and it's just yeah, mm-hmm. well, the sports book is a nice comfortable place to gamble. So yeah, I'm thinking especially about
3: especially being a boxing guy too. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna set up like fifteen TVs in my house and start doing that.
1: <laughs> this one sports radio host I used to work with, he did. He had a giant house and he built his basement into like a sports bar. And oh, he that's had, so cool. like he really did have like six monitors hung up above this giant wet bar. And it really was. We'd go down we'd go there for football Sundays and just spend the day there and it was fantastic. You know, so no, I mean yeah, if you got the money to burn, why not? It's fun uh-huh. <laughs> it could be fun. That's great, man. No, I'm 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 excited to go down there too. And actually off the air we were talking a bunch of the old I'm really looking forward to seeing some of the old timers is there as well. And especially Joe GL is gonna be there. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's, you know, he goes back to the 60s and stuff and he was, you know, inking like uh, Carmine Infantino on the new Batman, you know, the the 60s Batman with the yellow emblem when that was first introduced and stuff like oh, that. Oh, my God. That's yeah. crazy. So, yeah, I'm really, I, I'm, I'm, man, I I, I hope he's uh, what might be interested in doing a word balloon at some point. I'd love to talk to him, pick his brain. Mm-hmm. But, man, I was, I was telling you, David Michelini's going to be there, the great Iron Man and Venom writer and, uh of course, wonderful Spider-Man writer on his own right. And uh, Denny O'Neill was going to be there. Roy Thomas. Um, uh-huh. Don McGregor, one of the great Black Panther writers, among other things. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I'm, I, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a lot of fun. I'm, uh, and then, of course, our friends, Celia oh, and yeah. are going to be there. So, you know,
3: uh-huh.
1: Soul, like you said, good would be good to see Charles. Too funny, man. No, it's going to be great. Um, uh, what other Are you doing any other shows this year?
3: Uh, what do I have scheduled? Um, I can't remember. I, I don't no problem, think buddy. we've, we've, I've cut <laughs> way back on shows. Like sure. I said, this one somehow got through the cracks. I know how, cause it's at the Mohegan Sun. <laughs> uh, but I, for the most part, I'm trying not to do, I'm trying, I, 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 with this Venom thing, we, we got them to, um, try something new, which is that the, instead of, they were going to do these, uh, one and a half shipping. So it would be like. 18 issues a year, mm-hmm. and I wanted to be, like, I wanted to do, like, old school. Like, I do almost all the issues. So what they did is they're doing, um, they're only doing 12 issues a year, but then there's uh, satellite titles. So there's, like, the the Venom uh, one was announced. There's, I think there was a second one that was announced. But, um, so they're going to do these satellite one Shots, and then I get to do the main series so I want to uphold my end of the bargain by by staying home and working as much as possible rather than understood uh, you know yeah yeah. because every no. every time you, you try to do a show every time I think oh I got this I can I'll get all this stuff done before I go and then I never do and you know
1: <laughs> I totally understand absolutely man well that, and that's the thing we want you to make you know it's like no, you know you got to make the donuts we want you to make the donuts it's okay
0: mm-hmm.
1: um well, that's great. Well, I'm glad that uh, and son is going to be the exception, and I'm going to see you there. Do you ever envision yeah. like going to DC and and doing any DC stuff? Are there any DC heroes that intrigue you? Oh yeah, for sure. We've talked, and you know, it,
3: it was definitely something that was on the table this time in my latest negotiation. But, um, you know, I was I'm pretty enamored with this Venom series, and I it would have cool. cut me off at the knees while I was doing that. So. Um, you know, we'll talk next time that my contract's up and see what's what. But um, you know, it's a good time to be. Good time to be at Marvel. Good time to uh, keep the momentum going. So that's
1: good, man. Well, they're lucky to have you, truly, because again, I think uh, your 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 interiors and your covers are spectacular. Your commissions are spectacular, and uh, I'm glad everything's going well for you, man. And I and well, thank uh, you. Yeah, absolutely, and I look forward to seeing you next month uh, at Mohegan Sun for Terrific Con, and I'll. Uh, I, I might see you at the tables. I may not, but uh, certainly I'll see you at the uh, at the artist alley tables. And I think we're going to be on a Venom panel together,
0: so okay. that'll be fun. Cool. we will be
1: moderating that. So, uh, no, very very good, Ryan Stegman. It's a, it's a pleasure, and I'm always happy to see you. And I look forward to seeing you face to face. And when there's something new to talk about, uh, where whatever it is, come back and we'll do this again. All right, for sure. Thank you. There you go, Ryan Stegman, wrapping things up on today's Word Balloon. I hope you enjoyed it. Today it was brought to you again by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much, League, for your support. If you'd like to subscribe to Word Balloon and help the cause, you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. Word Balloon is also brought to you by In Stock Trades at instocktrades.com. Lots of the titles that uh, Ryan Stegman mentioned are available at great prices at instocktrades.com. You can get things like... She Hulk's trade paperback, The Hunt for Intelligentsia. Harrison Wilcox and Peter David doing the writing. Ryan Stegman and John Boy Myers doing the art. 42% off, $8.69. You can also get Spider Man Return of Anti Venom. This is a story written by Dan Slott and Christos Gage. Uh, Giuseppe Camus, Camus, uh, Soli and also uh, Umberto Ramos and Ryan Stegman doing the art chores. Uh, 42% off, it's $9.27. Of course, The Superior Spider-Man Run, My Own Worst Enemy, uh, just when Doc Ock is taking over as Spider-Man. This was uh, written by Dan and uh, Slot, and of course it's Stegman and uh, Giuseppe doing the artwork, 42% off, it's just $10.43 for Volume 1 of The Superior Spider-Man. There's Wolverine, Trade Paperback Book 1, Three Months to Die, Paul Cornell doing the writing, Ryan Stegman doing the art. 42% off. It's just $14.49. And you could reach back for his Marvel Adventures work, Thor and Spider-Man, together. It's Todd Dezago, Mark Sumaric, J.M. DeMattis, and Tom DeFalco doing the writing. And listen to this lineup of art. Ron Lim, Ryan Stegman, Herb Trimpey, and Ron Friends. Pretty good stuff. 42% off, only $5.79. There's also Incredible Hulks, The Fall of the Hulks. Uh, This was... uh, Jeff Parker, Greg Pock Fred Van Lenti, Harrison Wilcox, and others doing the writing. And, uh, man, Paul Pelletier, uh, Ariello Olivetti, Ryan Stegman, among the artists involved with this trade paperback. It's 42% off, $23.19. It's all available to you at InStockTrades.com. Don't take my word for it. You can check it out for yourself. You'll find your favorite writers and artists at great prices at InStockTrades.com. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Thank you very much for your continued support and I really appreciate uh, everybody uh, you know enjoying the show because uh, I've, I've been getting a lot of positive emails and uh, social media messages as well how much they're really happy and I got to tell you man it's uh, all thanks to the great creators and creative people that uh, come on word balloon and give me these incredible conversations so can't thank the uh, guests enough they're the ones who really make the show you know I- I'm just here direct in traffic. So uh, <laughs> both literally and figuratively, if you know my radio career. But uh, I hope you've been enjoying the conversations. It's, it's really been exceptional the last few weeks, and I've really been fortunate. And a lot of it has to do with uh, Mitch Halleck at Terrificon and guys like John Cimino. Again, uh, the stretchy Hulk guy, as my buddy Art Balthasar re- re- refers to him. Uh, they're all going to be at Terrificon next month. And uh, you're hearing the commercials. I'm going to be out there. I'm doing two panels with Roy. I'm going to do a Venom panel with uh, Stegman. Black Panther panel. uh, uh, About eight panels over the weekend at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. My buddies Art and Franco are going to be there as well. My buddies Tim Seeley and Mike Norton are going to be there. Very, very excited about the lineup. Um, I'm pumping this convention because, yeah, they're sponsoring me. And they're helping me get out there. But it's a great show, just like Roy said. And uh, it's a comic book show. It's a real comic book show. There's celebrities. The Fonz is going to be there. Um, Daniel-san, Karate Kid, is going to be there. Ralph Macchio. And uh, I'm really excited about uh, Sam Jones, Flash Gordon. Lots of great celebrities. Uh, Also, lots of great uh, comic book people as well. So I hope you'll be able to uh, join me if you're in the tri-state area of Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. I hope to see you at uh, Terrificon next month regardless Lots more big uh, Word Balloon guests coming that are going to be at Terrific Con. And I'm happy to share with you some of these conversations and uh, very excited about some of the people that you're going to be hearing in the days and weeks ahead. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2018.